3: All right, what's going on? It is drive time. It's a Monday afternoon. It's about five minutes past the hour of two o'clock. It's been a Jekyll and Hyde weather day. We had sunshine. Then we had rain. Now we have clouds here in downtown Salt Lake City, Utah. It's still warm. It's about 80 degrees or so. And as it is every single day, it's good to have you along for the ride. Spence Check, it's behind the mic. That's Porter Larson beyond the glass. And we are jam-packed on a Monday afternoon after a jam-packed sports weekend. It's not game week yet for the University of Utah, BYU, Utah State, the local college football teams, but we are inching closer and closer. It is week zero in college football, so you actually get some college football games this weekend. A lot of college football news on the show today, including Jim Harbaugh. Michigan has self imposed a three game ban uh, for Harbaugh after the NCAA uh, was uh, set to come down with a four game suspension. It's been kind of a chaotic story to follow from Ann Arbor, University of Michigan. They have a really, really good football team this year. A lot of people believe they're not just going to win their conference, but they have a chance to win the national championship. So it's interesting. A lot of the big-time national title contenders have issues of quarterback, namely Bama and Ohio State. Uh, so we'll get to some of that on the show today. You get a little preseason NFL football on your television tonight. I saw this stat earlier. I don't think it means anything. The Ravens have won their last 24 Preseason football games. Huh. I didn't. I hadn't realized that. And they're playing the Commanders tonight. Uh, we saw some NFL preseason football. We had some uh, NFL preseason football over the weekend. A lot of local players trying to make teams. Nephi Sewell looking good for the Saints. Zach Wilson looking really, really good for the New York Football Jets. Obviously, he's the backup quarterback now, and Aaron Rodgers. The starting quarterback, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, it was announced that we'll see Aaron in the preseason for the first time since 2018, coming up on Saturday against the New York football Giants. So a lot of preseason football. I'm sure you guys are a lot like me today, where you're just kind of over the preseason. You're awaiting the regular season, in both college and pro football, and it's right around the corner. So a lot of football news on the show today. Not a lot of NBA news, but uh, the latest with uh, James Harden in Philadelphia. The NBA is investigating what's going on in Philly. We have a little bit more information today than we did on Friday. Uh, Apparently, Daryl Morey told Harden that he would trade him very quickly after he opted into the $35.6 million option on his contract. So uh, still some drama there. And uh, the latest with Dame Lillard in Portland. When can we see a resolution there? Do the Utah Jazz get involved? Speaking of the Utah Jazz, Walker Kessler, he's just not in the rotation for Team USA. It's going to be junk minutes here or there. Maybe they put him in if they play against a team that has a dominant big on the other side. But we saw Team USA come back against Germany over the weekend. Anthony Edwards looks really, really good. And a really cool piece from The Athletic about the coaching staff for Team USA. The head coach is Steve Kerr. The lead assistant is Eric Spolstra. Then it's Ty Lue, Mark Few. And they've got a bunch of consultants as well. Chip England, one of the best shooting coaches in the world, who's an assistant coach for OKC. So while I'm sure if you're a Jazz fan, you'd love to see Walker play, just being a part of this group, I think, is going to provide a lot of ancillary benefits for this young center that the Utah Jazz are so high on. So not a lot of basketball right now but team usa continues to play really well as uh we prepare for the world cup coming up uh brigham young scrimmage over the weekend the offense apparently still a couple ahead a couple of steps ahead of the defense of course practice rolling up on the hill university of utah uh really the final week of camp and then it'll be game week and then we'll have florida in town and we'll have some fun games to talk about the pga tour made a stop in chicago and what a uh, roller coaster of a day it was for the golfers trying to qualify for the Tour Championship at East Lake in Atlanta coming up this weekend. Jordan Spieth barely in, barely in the top 30. Terrell Hatton barely in the top 30. Victor Hovland had maybe the round of the year to win the title over the weekend over Scotty Scheffler and Matthew Fitzpatrick. So it was a lot of fun to watch that tournament. Speaking of golf, the Utah Open took place. Zach Blair, who earned his PGA Tour card this year, got the win. In a playoff, it took four holes down at Riverside Country Club, but Zach got the win there. So a little golf on the show as well. Real Salt Lake had their match postponed last night. It was supposed to be RSL uh, LA Galaxy, but Southern California has been hit, man, really hard with some crazy storms. Got some friends down there. Hopefully everybody's staying safe. They even had an earthquake mixed in. So RSL gets a couple of more days rest before they take on Houston in the Open Cup semifinal. That's going to be on Wednesday night. Uh, and there's still a chance that RSL will have uh, the opportunity to host uh, Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi here in Sandy, should Miami take care of their business against Cincinnati in their semifinal. So, still uh, an opportunity on the table for Messi to come to Utah, which is a sentence that still blows my mind to even say it out loud. Uh, Miami lifted a trophy over the weekend that won the League's Cup. It's uh, It's amazing what adding the best player in the history of your sport can do for your organization, uh, Miami was flailing, man. They were the worst team in the league, and now they might be the best. Messi scored again over the weekend. It was a wonder strike, man. That ki- that guy has just been insanely entertaining and fun to watch. The latest on the final season of the Pac-12. Yes, I said that out loud into the microphone because that's my belief. Uh, Scott, ba- Scott Barnes, the AD at Oregon State. Uh, some comments over the weekend about his ideas to try to salvage the thing. Uh, but that's going to take cooperation from Cal and Stanford. Not sure they're going to get it. But obviously, uh, a lot of attention on the final Pac-12 season uh, for the conference and for the University of Utah. So a lot to do on the show. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. We had some pretty decent weather. There was a little rain mixed in, but it was uh, it was warm. So hopefully you had a chance uh, to get outside. Uh, Mo Abate making some plays for the Cleveland Browns. Jalen Warren had a nice game for the Steelers. Jordan Love looked pretty good over the weekend, too. So a lot of local boys doing a great job over the weekend in some NFL preseason action. Spain is your World Cup champ on the women's side. They beat England 1-0. That is the first women's World Cup championship in the history of Spain. So congratulations to them. So a ton to get to on the show today. We saw a little Mahomes magic over the weekend. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, the preseason will wrap up coming up this next weekend. Uh, Monday Night Football tonight is a reference. You get the Ravens. And the Commanders, did is Russell Wilson salvageable? We saw the Broncos and the Niners over the weekend, too. So a ton, to dig, ton to, a ton to dig into, a ton to get to on a Monday with a good guest list. We'll start things off with one of our favorites, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitz. Uh, Freddie is, uh, he is like a Swiss Army knife for ESPN. He does a little bit of everything, does a bunch of different radio. They've been throwing them on television over the past year or two. Good to see our guy be rewarded for his years of service over at ESPN. We're going to be joined by Emeka Anelli, RSL right back, in preparation for the Open Cup semifinal coming up on Wednesday. Emeka, as a rookie, has cracked Pablo's rotation. Uh, He plays on the back line, but Pablo likes him as a midfielder, too. He's a bright kid, and I've never had a chance to interview him. It's one of my favorite things, to interview people for the first time. And that's what we're going to do today with Emeka Anelli. Sean O'Connell, the great OC, will stop by. We saw a little UFC over the weekend, a little MMA over the weekend. Obviously, Pac-12 football, Utah football with Sean as well. And then during the second half of the show, we'll get to some NFL. We'll get you ready for some fantasy drafts. Maybe if you'd like to throw a couple of ducats here or there on game lines or what have you, Trey Camerley. Trey used to be with the Jazz on the uh, digital space. He was one of their cameramen and content creators, and now he has made a move. We'll let Trey um, tell you what he's doing now, and we'll talk some NFL football with one of the good guys in the market, man. Really, really, uh, really love Trey, so we'll bring him on today. Freddie Coleman, Omeka Anelli, Sean O'Connell, Trey Kammerlein, me, Spence Check. It's all of you, the great listeners, on this Monday afternoon. And that guy, Porter Larson, on a Monday. How's your weekend, buddy boy? How's your Monday going?
4: Gone well, gone well, Spence. Uh, obviously, uh, I guess the last um, off weekend before college football. I can smell it in the air, Spence. This Saturday, we have regular season college football. So always an exciting week. Uh, to, get, to get started, and, and yeah, looking forward to it. You mentioned some RSL stuff, a little bit of hoops off-season that, that we can get to, but for the most part, um, just enjoying my my weekend and really, really excited and looking forward to talking actual football instead of the last three, four months, which have been everything but that. And uh, that's that's what I'm most thankful for on this Monday. It
3: really is a great time of year. On Saturday, we've got uh, Navy-Notre Dame. Uh, that's going to be in Dublin, so should be a really cool scene there. And then at the Coliseum in Los Angeles, it's USC and it's San Jose State. So two uh, really good games. There's a bunch of games on Saturday, but those are the two games featuring teams in the top 25. It's Navy-Notre Dame, San Jose State, and USC. And, of course, high speed ahead to Florida-Utah. Uh, just about 10 days away, man. Can't wait. Great time of year. So we're going to start things off on a Monday with our good buddy, Freddie Coleman. But before we get to Freddie, courtesy of our good friends and your good friends, too, go to jerseymikes.com. Try the number 13 Italian subman. You will not regret it. Get it get it, Mike's way on a Monday afternoon. It is time now for your opening tip.
0: Welcome to The Drive with Spence It on Utah's number one sports talk. Now, into the studios of ESPN 700 to set the scene for the show. The opening tip in the drive is brought to you by Jersey Mike's. With two dozen locations in Utah, Jersey Mike's is a sub above. Order online at JerseyMike's.com.
3: Ten days away, man. Ten days away, Utah, Florida. It's one of the prime premier opening matchups, not just in the state, but in all of college football. Uh, Utah has an audacious non-conference schedule, and they have one of, if not the most difficult conference schedules of all of the top five teams that have a chance to win the conference, according to uh, who most people believe do have a shot. Utah, obviously USC, most people picking USC to win the thing. Washington getting a lot of love, and then the two Oregon schools as well with Oregon and Oregon State. So there's a lot to really unpack when it comes to the final season of Pac-12 football. And that's what I believe. I'm not reporting anything, and reasonable people and smart people can disagree. That's fine. I, I don't see this thing lasting. I don't, th- I don't think the Pac-12 is going to survive this. I, I think we're going to see some uh, some other changes where Stanford and Cal land somewhere else, and then Oregon State, Washington State, probably the Mountain West. That's the best guess, but we, we really don't know. But I'm confident saying on this day, I speed ahead to the start of the season, that this is the final season of Pac-12 football. That's what I believe. Now, for uh, a number of weeks now, we have gone over ad nauseum over and over and over the failure of leadership in the Pac-12, and Larry Scott and his enablers, presidents, leaders, chancellors, decision makers, during uh, this real um, essentially brick-by-brick crumbling of a once-great conference, there are a lot of people that have their fingerprints here. It's not just Larry Scott. Certainly, his enablers, and there are a lot of people trying to come up with ideas to try to salvage this, namely Scott Barnes, the athletic director for Oregon State, and I don't see it happening. I I just don't see it happening. So as we kind of turn the page a little bit and look forward to what I believe is going to be a really entertaining year of Pac-12 football, I mean, you have a lot of teams, namely Oregon State, that will be playing with that real proverbial chip on their shoulder. That's become a cliche now. Like, everybody's got a chip. Everyone has the chip. You know, it's all we heard from the Jazz all year. Oh, we got this huge chip on the shoulder. All right, Oregon State actually has like a real one. And that's a top-20 football team under Jonathan Smith, who the last time Oregon State had a team that, that was this good, it was when Jonathan Smith was playing quarterback 20 years ago. You know, he means so much to Oregon State football, and I definitely feel bad for him, and I feel bad for the program, but we'll see how that ends up. But, you know, ultimately here in Salt Lake, the main topic continues to be how's Cam. How's Cam doing? Is he making progress? Is he healthy? I want to be very clear, I'm not reporting this at all. I am of the belief that we will not see Cam rising week one against Florida. That's just my belief, that's how I feel based off of people who I've spoken to. Uh I don't know that that's the case and let me all, let me also be very clear about one thing. I hope that I'm incredibly wrong and we do see Cam week one, but there're just a lot of things at stake here when it comes to the athlete himself and wanting him to be healthy to maybe potentially go play pro football at some point. I don't know if he's an NFL quarterback. We've had scouts on the show, and I think there are different different opinions. Maybe he can make money in other leagues. I don't know, but you have to make sure that he's right and good uh, for the rest of his life, not just the season. And as we've talked about on this show before, I am of the belief that, and I will circle UCLA on September the 23rd as the game that I believe we will see Cam Rising play for the first time. I, I, I just think it makes too much sense to get him ready for league play, to get him ready for conference play. Now, I know that if you do that and there's some stumbles early on, you remove yourself from a CFP situation the final year with only four teams. I get that. And if you're a youth fan that believes this is a CFP-type team, that's awesome. I'm not a radio host to diminish your excitement. Go ahead. I've just been doing this long enough. And if you guys have been watching college football long enough, you just know how hard that is to do when you're not the – Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, upper echelon, top, top tier of college football teams. And Utah's knocking on the door. They're right there. And could it happen? Of course it could. You always leave the possibility open. But to me, it's all about winning league. It's all about winning the conference and maybe advancing to another premier bowl. But, Porter, I was thinking about this this morning. I think most people would would say that Alex Smith is the best quarterback in Utah football history. If Cameron Rising is able to come back for league and Utah wins their third straight Pac-12 championship and Cam has the same type of season, very productive that we've seen over the past two years, does he become the best quarterback in program history if they pull that that off?
4: yeah, It's dependent on how you phrase that, I guess, and and, and how you define it, right? Um, Alex Smith, of course, phenomenal year. Number one draft pick. Uh, Undefeated season. That's huge. He was here for one year. Um, I, I think how you define best player uh, is is best quarterback is is probably how it, this is decided, right? I, I was listening to Bill's show the other day, and he he phrased, you know, best Pac-12 player for Utah. And I think he had Devin Lloyd, Cam Rising at number one. And I, I can't argue with that, right? I, Devin Lloyd's probably a better player, but Cam Rising's the most impactful. Cam Rising is kind of the catalyst, right? We knew how good that team could be, um, but it wasn't until the injury, it wasn't until Cam stepped in during that San Diego State game where things really started to click. You could see a change in not just the way the team played, but the way they approached the game, the confidence they had. Um, there's more to being a really, really good quarterback than just zipping the ball down the field and knowing the playbook. There's a moxie that comes with it. Alex has it. Cam has it. Um, but yeah, there's an argument. There's an argument for Cam Rising. Um, if, if we, if we want to do a Mount Rushmore of, of Utah we don't. quarterbacks, we don't want to do that, just so you know.
3: <laughs> you can save that for Bill's show.
4: Cam's right there, right? There's, there's four or five guys on that list that, that you can argue for and Cam's absolutely one of them, if he can come back and and, and do another full season or close to it with the kind of production he's had and finish with a Pac-12 title run or a big bowl game,
1: Chumba. Chumba. No purchase necessary.
4: I don't know how you can say it's not camp. Yeah, I think the
3: naysayers would point to uh bowl game losses, right? Because Alex right. Uh, you know Alex you you know Alex was twenty one and one as a starter. And you know, they did win both their bowl games, the Liberty Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, but you can't compare those balls to the Rose Bowl when you're playing Penn State and Ohio State. Exactly. I am of the belief that if Cam comes back and is healthy and they win their third straight Pac-12 championship, Cameron Rising becomes the best quarterback in the history of the program.
4: And, and let's be clear, the time in which you play, I think, is is hard to argue, right? Mm-hmm. But the level of football that is being played right now is is higher, right? That You're not playing Air Force on off weeks. You're not... Getting these matchups, bowl games against Pitt, it's just not the same, right? No, no disrespect. It's not an indictment on Alex Smith, but you look at those Rose Bowl losses, and yes, they're losses in a bowl game. But Spence, go watch Cam Rising in those games. Utah was decimated. Makai Bernard was playing corner. Uh, Mika Defua had one leg that was working. Right. Th- this was a Utah team who went into both of those Rose Bowls. Not that the other teams didn't have players missing, but this is a Utah team specifically that went into both of those Rose Bowls completely, completely underhanded. And and the, the personnel was not right. And Cam Rising rose to the occasion on both of those games. Unfortunately, couldn't finish because of, of those injuries. But he, he's risen to the occasion, whether it's the USC game, the Pac-12 title games, um, the, the, the last month's, of, of both of the Pac-12 title runs where Utah couldn't afford any sort of loss. And, and Cam came through on both of those. I, yeah, I think I'm with
3: you. Yeah, there, there's, there's no doubt that he already has a place cemented as one of the greats. We have to include Brian Johnson in any conversation that talks about the greatest quarterbacks in Utah football history. But I do think, and Tyler Huntley should be in the mix, but if Cam can come back, if, he, if he's healthy, if he puts up the same numbers as he has when he's been healthy over the past couple of years and Utah goes on to win their third straight... Even with a premier bowl game loss again, I put Cameron Rising at the top of the table, man. And that's no disrespect to Brian or Alex or anybody else. But that just is who he's been, as Porter just outlined. As I referenced earlier, I'm not reporting this because I don't have this information to report. I'm just of the opinion and believe that we're not going to see Cam against Florida. I, I, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. That would be great to see him out there because, obviously, if you get Florida at home and you go on the road to Baylor and get that win... The world just opens up, and the possibilities will be really exciting to talk about. But we're ten days away, man. It's a great time of year. Utah football and college football, pro football, too, right around the corner. All right, coming up on the other side, one of our favorites, Freddie Coleman, stops by. Then it's a Mecca, Anelli, Sean O'Connell, Trey Camberlin on a Monday afternoon. So keep it right here on ESPN seven (laughs) hundred. Right, we got uh, Mecca and Nelly stopping by, coming up in just a little bit. Uh, Real Salt Lake is back in action, coming up on Wednesday. And should they win that match on Wednesday? And should Miami take care of their business in their um, semifinal Open Cup match? Lionel Messi will be in Utah to play soccer, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. But starting us off on a Monday afternoon, one of my favorites from ESPN Radio, does radio, does TV, multi-talented, the great Freddie Coleman. Back on the drive on a Monday. Freddie, happy Monday, man. How are
6: you? I'm good, brother Spence. How are you? And I'm with you. I thought we would never hear the words that Leo Messi playing in the United States. And how great has he been for Inter-Miami and the MLS so far in this summer?
3: Yeah, it's been extremely entertaining uh, to watch. I, I wonder, you know, we'll, I, I do want to talk a lot of pro and college football with you, Freddie. But, it, you know, what what sort of impact do you think this could Mean for a game that, for so many years, has really been trying to break through uh, into the average Joe, home, you know, home of a sports fan across uh, across our country. What from from your vantage point, what has the messy effect been like?
6: Boy, that's a really good question because I try to compare it to when Pele played in the North American Soccer League for the New York Cosmos, and so many other guys from Europe and South America followed him over to the Cosmos. Giorgio Canalia, Franz Beckenbauer, Carlos Alberto, those were guys that were on major teams playing in a national level and having a chance to go to the biggest city in the world, but it was never able to establish that foothold once Pele retired and those guys got old. I wonder if it's going to be different this time with Leo Messi because if other guys start to follow him and play on different teams then maybe just maybe we can hear and maybe see that impact. But right now it's still too early to tell because he's the biggest star around and the fact that he's played this well and has scored so early for Inter- Inter-Miami and the MLS is a good thing. But the far-reaching effect, I think right now that pocket may still be a little empty when it comes to MLS gaining more of a foothold in the United States.
3: All right, Freddie, let's move over to some college football. You know, we're in the Pac-12 footprint here, but it's a footprint that is shrinking and it's probably going to be no more Uh, What do you make of where we find ourselves with the University of Utah high speed ahead to the Big 12 and this potentially being the final year of Pac-12 football play?
6: Well, I think it shows you exactly how far the Utah football program has come where the Pac-12 wanted them and then the Big 12 wanted them. And Utah said, well, we can try to continue to stay here, but we have to go that's going to suit our athletic programs the best, especially from a logistical standpoint where they don't have to travel as far, and they're a lot more close to teams. They get to play BYU in Colorado, so those teams are a lot closer to them geographically. That's going to help them. And more than ever before, and Spence, I said this right after the pandemic, when everything shut everything down, and athletic departments were furloughing employees, I said, how are they going to make that money back, all that money that they lost? Not everybody lost money, but so many people lost money. And I said, the one thing they're going to do, if they get a chance to have more money come to their programs, then how much is that going to shift the landscape? Because they are going to make that money back. Well, here we are in 2023, and we really see the effect of that where all this landscape moving around has really affected every athletic program because you have to follow the money. And the money is going to be there, and live sports are going to be there, especially when it comes to big time college football, big time college basketball, and even college baseball as well. And softball has been able to really benefit from that as well. So all of a sudden now, everybody's going to say, what's going to be the best thing for us for athletic programs when it comes to money? And that's why you see Utah, the state loyal to the Pac 12 but they have to think about themselves in the long run. And in the long run, moving to the Big 12 was the best thing for Utah athletics.
3: So do you believe ultimately, Freddie, that this is going to be the final foray into Pac-12 play, or do you see somehow, some way this conference surviving?
6: I can't see it unless they find a way to pair with the Mountain West. and The Mountain West hasn't even been knocking down their door to try to make sure there's a new kind of Pac-12 because they want to keep their kind of fiefdom in the Mountain West conference. And I also find it very interesting that you have five Pac-12 teams that are ranked in the preseason top 25, and four of them are out of the door after this year is all over. So it's going to be a very interesting 2023 in the Pac-12, but it would not surprise me at all. This is the final season for the Pac-12 in any sport, which is a shame because, as Bill Walton has always said, it's the conference of champions when it comes (laughs) to the Pac-12, but it's going to be the conference no more, and it's going to go the way of the Southwest Conference, where that was a great conference, and then they disintegrated, and right now the same thing has happened in the 21st century when it comes to the Pac-12.
3: Who do you like in the conference this year, Freddie? A lot of people think it's SC. Uh, Utah will be right there. I can promise you that. The Oregon schools are very, very good. Some people like UCLA. And obviously Washington is a top 10-ish type program. Who do you like in the Pac-12 this year?
6: Well, USC is the best player in Caleb Williams, but I think the two teams that can beat them will be Washington and Utah because Utah proved that last year. And Utah is so good that no matter who they lose, they can lose a Dalton Kincaid who became a top first-round pick for the Buffalo Bills, but you know they got guys on reserve that are going to be there and step into his shoes. And you got an experience coming back when it comes to Utah football. And look at all the great quarterbacks in this league where they're going to pac football's football. going to be terrific in the final year where it's going to be. But I know USC gets a lot of love their preseason top five, top eight team. But I think when it's all said and done, I can see Washington or Utah winning this conference. And it all depends on USC's defense. If they play any better kind of defense compared to last year, then they should win this conference. But if their best defense is their best offense led by Caleb Williams and all the guys coming back, I think at a certain point they're going to run into a roadblock with somebody else either on the road or at home. And I'm not going to bet on that happening for USC in their favor, not having a top-flight defense, but they're going to have a top-flight offense that could be one of the best offenses in the country.
3: I know we're putting the card ahead of the horse a little bit here, but how would you articulate your thoughts on the way Utah will fit into the Big 12 next year? Kind of the cul-de-sac where they exist. You put them near the top of the conference. How do you think Utah will handle uh, the Big 12 uh, when they make that move coming up next season?
6: Well, to bring some memory to everybody's memory, a lot of people said that the Pac-12 is going to be too much for them, right? Well, how did that happen? It wasn't too much for Utah at all. They showed the great ability that they can be very liquid and adapt to any recruiting standpoint or any anything else that they have to do to try to figure out exactly what kind of athletes they need to bring in their program. At least the curve is not going to be as steep as they went from one conference to the Pac-12, which is big boy football. And the Big 12, even though they're losing Texas and Oklahoma, look at the teams that are still going to be around in the Big 12 that are all of a sudden making that league a terrific football in basketball league so utah is not just going to go to the big 12 and maybe struggle for a couple of years it would not surprise me the minute that they get there they're going to they're going to contend for championships in that league because of the kind of infrastructure that they've been able to build that's going to be very sustainable no matter where they go no matter where they wind up
3: let's move over now actually one more college football question then we'll move over to some pro football freddie i I wonder as brigham young moves over into the big 12 Um, You know, it's going to take a minute for them to acclimate to their new surroundings. The Vegas over-unders, four and a half. Um, They didn't receive any votes in the AP. Uh, Chris Benini from The Athletic has them ranked around 60th in his one through 133 rankings. What does success look like year one in the Big 12 for Brigham Young?
6: If they can find a way to get the six or seven wins, and that's a great starting point. But uh, they lost a lot of personnel. They lost a a top flight quarterback that had played pretty well, even though he was injured a lot last year. So they're going to have to really find a way to make sure they have that kind of depth because now they're going to play in the conference where it's just wide-open football in the Big 12, where everybody has the potential, no matter if you're playing Texas Tech, no matter if you're playing Texas, or if you're playing Oklahoma, if you're playing Oklahoma State, everybody in that league has the potential to score 35 to 40 points thirty five to forty points a game. And if you're really lacking in that you don't have that kind of offense, you can only play tough defense for so long because that's going to catch up to you. And you don't have the prerequisite depth that you're going to need to play offense in that conference. That's why I think the struggle bus will have a lot of passengers from BYU when it's all said and done in their first year in the Big 12.
3: You know, Freddie, over my uh, life uh, cheering for teams that uh, I have an affinity for, I've always enjoyed being a Jets fan because it's low anxiety because I know they're going to be bad (laughs) all the time. And so I don't know how to deal with this new reality where everybody's talking about the football team that I've loved my whole life. What should I expect from my Jets this year?
6: That they're going to be a top-five defense because they got some dudes on that side of the ball. And I think they may even be better than last year because – they won't play as many snaps and have to win football games because they got a guy on the other side in quarterback. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers, they'll finally be able to carry his share of that load on that side of the football for the New York Jets. Right now, I still think they're the third best team spent in their division. Miami, with that track team they got on the offensive side of the football, if Tua Tunga Lord can stay healthy, that offense may be one of the top four, th- top three offenses in the National Football League. And people keep forgetting about the Buffalo Bills, who are still going to be very good defensively. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Josh Allen, but also Kim Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, be better than they were in 2022. But this Jets team has the potential to be a nine to ten win team. And after the early part of the schedule, that is very, very daunting. When you open up with Buffalo, you got the Cowboys and the Chiefs, in the early part of the schedule. If they can survive that and not be below 500, that's a team I believe that will, in the gauntlet of the AFC, that's a team that I think will challenge. Right now, I've gotten the third best team in the AFC East, but I think that's going to be a playoff team that can get you 9 to 10 wins.
3: You know, there's a local tie here, and um, I was concerned with the Zach Wilson selection, because we watch Zach very close here, and I I haven't closed the book on him, and, you know, it seems like uh, he's embraced this new role as the backup, and my hope, Freddie, is that Zach can learn from Aaron for a few years and maybe salvage something and go on to be a 10-year starter. I don't know. Do you leave any space in your mind for that possibility?
6: Oh, there's no doubt about that. And I've been able to see it so far in preseason with Zach Wilson. Yeah, he has to get better with his decision-making. He made a play running the football, and instead of turning it inside, instead of turning it outside and getting out of bounds, he turned it inside and I said, dude, that's how you got injured last year, where a lot of people wondering about your decision-making. But the fact you have a chance to not only learn from Aaron Rodgers, But Aaron Rodgers really embraced having that kind of role, helping Zach Wilson. So that's going to pay big dividends. We're not going to see Zach Wilson on the field unless Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. And I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a New York Jet quarterback for at least two years, maybe even possibly three. But if you still have a guy that's still going to be young enough to make plays for your team that you believe can learn from Aaron Rodgers, then the future is going to be a lot better. Because right now, he, we know he suffered through a confidence crisis. I think he had his confidence restored by being around a guy that did not mind showing him the ropes and show him exactly what a quarterback is supposed to look like being a leader of the team on up the football field. He could not have had a better guy to teach him that and have maybe a potential renaissance in his career when it comes to Zach Wilson.
3: You know, ultimately, uh, as we all get a little bit older, we, lo- we hopefully learn lessons and we hopefully, you know, uh, change the way we think about things. And so when it comes to Aaron Rodgers embracing, at least it appears, Freddie, that he is embracing this leadership role, and, look, we see it on Hard Knocks. We don't see the the other things. Who knows? Hard Knocks sometimes paints an inaccurate picture of how everything is. But he appears to really have embraced this role as kind of a veteran leader. I wonder how that lands with Jordan Love and his Packers teammates, where all the reports were Aaron wasn't interested in trying to, you know, mentor him. It was more of kind of like – um It felt like he was upset that they drafted their future quarterback. How do you think it's landing with some of Aaron Rodgers' former teammates that he appears to have embraced this veteran leadership role in New York?
6: To be honest with you, Spence, I don't think they care because it's all about who is still in Green Bay and not who's no longer with that organization. So to be completely honest with you, based on what I've seen and heard from Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur, the head coach, nobody has brought up Aaron Rodgers unless it's brought up to them. And they quickly shooed that away to say, hey, we wish Aaron Rodgers nothing but the best. We know he's going to do great with the New York, but we're concerned with the guys that we have here. And that is the right approach. And for my money, that's the best approach of the Green Bay Packers. You had to deal with that cloud of the whole back and forth between Aaron Rodgers and that organization. He was not getting along with Brian Guttencourt, the general manager, or Mark Murphy, the president, and Matt LaFleur and the players were caught in the middle of that. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. That's not a distraction for this football team. So there's no need to revisit something where a guy's no longer there. It's one thing if he was injured and he's not there, and then you got to deal with that, what is going to happen when he comes back, but they know he's not coming back. He'll come back to get his number retired and be in the ring of honor, but that's it until that happens. You can't concern yourself with somebody that wanted to be out of Green Bay. He had had enough, and Green Bay had enough of him. There's no need to bring that back to the table. When you're in a winnable division, you've got a quarterback that if he gets better and better, you got a pretty good defense. All of a sudden, you have to deal with that and not worry about somebody who didn't want to be there anymore and bring that to the table because that's not fair to Jordan Love and your organization.
3: Yeah, well said. I, I wonder what you anticipate from Jordan this year. He's a good kid. He played at Utah State, so we're able to get to know him a little bit, interviewed him a number of times, and... You look pretty solid uh game two of the preseason it's only preseason but what are your expectations from jordan this year in green bay
1: okay round two name something that's not boring
5: a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh
1: ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
6: I think Jordan Love could be very similar to the first year Aaron Rodgers became a starting quarterback because, for those who don't remember, he got the full beat out of him that year. When they went 6-10, and they didn't have a good offensive line, they had no running game. But time and time again that year, Spence, he never pointed fingers, he never made excuses, he always had to be better. And I remember watching those games and saying, man, y'all better get him now because that guy's going to be a mother to deal with in the National Football League and look what that turned out. Not seeing that Jordan Love could be on that same kind of track but he's going to take his bumps and bruises, but it's only going to serve him well because he knows he has the support of that organization. That's the one thing that Aaron Rodgers dealt with back then because the organization said, Brett Favre didn't want to be here anymore, but you're our guy. That's why we drafted you in the first round. And he was able to validate that confidence and that faith they had in him. I think we could potentially see the same thing with Jordan Love. Of course, not to the level of Aaron Rodgers, who may want to be a Mount Rushmore kind of quarterback. But having that kind of faith, and knowing that you don't have to worry about looking over your shoulder, that nobody's trying to take your job, they're going to let you learn to fly, I could see something very similar where Green Bay may not have a great record, but their quarterback's going to play better than anybody anticipated, and that's going to serve him and the Green Bay Packers very well in the future.
3: Kind of a scary scene over the weekend. Well, not kind of, a very scary scene over the weekend at Lambeau. Isaiah Bolden uh, went down after uh, a really bad collision. Good news is he's been released from the hospital he has feeling in all of his extremities, and he's set to travel with the team moving forward. So a uh, happy ending to a scary moment. And, and, Freddie, look, you know, whenever something like this happens, you know the debate. Should we even have preseason football? But here's the bottom line. These preseason games, I mean, the owners would not vote to shorten a preseason for years and years and years because every preseason game is worth roughly five to $6 million to their bottom line, and we know that that's what they care about. So we have yep. shortened the preseason. Do you think there'll ever be a time where we don't see preseason football at all?
6: Well, if you don't have preseason football, then the NFL is not. You think you have injuries now? Wait until if that ever happens. Because you can't plan to play football and not play tackle football. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I know a lot of people say, well, injuries this and injuries that. Hey, it's a violent sport played by violent-minded people. You know what's going to happen? You have human bodies slamming into each other. A body is going to resist that, or a body is going to break because of that. It's always been part and parcel of the National Football League, or football as a sport in general. You can't all of a sudden say, "Hey, we're going to go out there and play week one, opening day, and we didn't have any kind of preseason football." That's just ridiculous. You're not doing the the players any favor. So, any favors, excuse me. So that goes beyond money and what the owners want. Any coach and any player tell you, you can't get us ready for a season, and we didn't have at least one preseason game to be out there with our team. That's why Aaron Rodgers is playing this weekend for the New York Jets, and he had not done that since 2018 because he knows the best way to get ready for the season is to make sure you're at least out there for a game, even if it's for a quarter, even if it's for a half. You can only do so many practices and joint practices with other teams where you have to be able to be hit or hit somebody. That's the only way you're going to properly prepare to be a quality football team in the National Football League. So it's going to be a risk-reward situation when it comes to injuries. That's always been a part of football. But for all of sudden, the people who say, we're going to plan to play at the highest risk-laden sport in the world in the National Football League and have two-hand touch in the preseason. On practices, you're going to have a lot more injuries than if that's going to be the the table that they're going to try to set everything on if you're the NFL or the owners in the NFL.
3: Yeah, and to your point, I mean, they have joint practices with other teams. I mean, you can get injured walking down the street. So, I mean, like, I, I, I get your <laughs> assertion for sure. Hey, based off of geography and proximity, where we find ourselves, there are a ton of Broncos fans here. Um, week one preseason, it, it was really, really, really bad. Uh, they started their first-team offense. They couldn't keep the second, third-string Cardinal front off of Russell Wilson. But I thought it was only a series, but I thought over the weekend it looked a little bit better. They lost mm-hmm. nine games last year by one score or less, which was most in the NFL. Uh, what do you What do you make of the first year of the Sean Payton experience in Denver, and what are you expecting?
6: Put it this way. Remember when Denver helped out John Elway by running the football game, Terrell Davis? That's what Sean Payton wants to do with Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson has shown – that he can still push the ball down the field. But if you have to have him do that as a steady diet, it's, all, it's going to fall apart at a certain point. Sean Payton brought in two offensive linemen, not to protect the quarterback, but to run the football. So that's what they're going to do, not only to protect their quarterback, but also make sure their defense don't play a lot of snaps. Because the first seven games of the year, that Denver Broncos defense was near being a top three defense, but they kept playing more and more and more and more snaps. They got worn down, and that's why they didn't have the kind of success because the offense kept turning over the football or giving the defense a short field, which they had to work. Sean Payton knows, okay, if I'm going to have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, I'm going to believe in, but we're going to do it this way because I know my way works more than his which means they're going to run the football a little bit more. They're going to be very judicious in the passing game. They're going to pass the ball to the running backs to really make it easier to throw to so Russell Wilson to build up his confidence. But also, when you have a defense like they have that can play, you got maybe potentially the best defense in that division, you got to do a better job protecting your quarterback to make sure that quarterback and your offense can protect that defense. So if they're able to do that, all of a sudden we're looking at a team that last year couldn't get out of their own way, finally have some semblance of what they're doing, that they could be a very, very sneaky team and not just in the AFC West.
3: Before I set you loose so my producer doesn't get mad at me, Freddie, you know you can't have a mad producer or the show's going to go south. Uh, the Cowboys, he's a Dallas Cowboys fan, America's team as it were. Uh, I believe they have the fourth shortest short odds to win the Super Bowl, fourth or fifth, so Vegas thinks they're going to be good this year. What has to happen for them to fulfill their potential and maybe break this long streak and maybe even win a conference championship?
6: Well, they need Dak Prescott to return to what we saw the first year. He was a starting quarterback in the NFL where he was so accurate and so precise and not just throwing the football, but even his decision-making. And people forget that year he became a first-time starter as an NFL quarterback. The Cowboys won their division, and it took one of the all-time great throws in history of playoff games by Aaron Rodgers to make sure the Cowboys didn't win that game because people forget the drive that the Cowboys had. Prescott led them down the field to take that lead by throwing a serious pass over the middle. to hit Jason Witten for that touchdown to give the Cowboys the lead. If he can return to that, all of a sudden, everything is going to be feeding off of him. Mike McCarthy is going to call plays. He wants a toughness with his team, especially when it comes to making sure they run the football better. But if that press guy is able to do that, even come near to what we saw his first year as a starting quarterback in the NFL, then all of a sudden you got a top-flight defense, you got an offensive line that's really good, that helps out the running game, and now you got a quarterback that if he plays that kind of level, then the Cowboys are not only on that same level with the 49ers and the Eagles or close to it, you may start talking about them because they have a, a potential championship-type defense. They need their quarterback to play a lot better than what we've seen, especially in that last playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers.
3: All right, Freddie, special announcement that uh, we're excited about since we're your uh, affiliate out here in Salt Lake City. Uh, first of all, a massive congratulations. How long have you been doing you know, the late night? And both Porter and myself, you know, I've listened to you for years. How long have you been doing that late-night shift? And then tell our listeners what the new show is going to look and sound like.
6: 19 years since I got the ESPN radio back in 2004 holy smokes indeed no doubt about that when I was part of the game night crew with Chuck Wilson and John Seibel and also Doug Gottlieb and then later on Jeff Rickard and I always appreciated working at night because you're always in the middle of the action and people kept asking me would you ever want a chance to work in a daytime shift and I said absolutely I wouldn't pass that up but it wasn't as if I was frustrated working at night but now I get a chance to move up the afternoons from 3 to 7 Eastern time and work with Harry Douglas. And it's been a long time coming, but we can't wait. We had a chance to do the morning show this morning, and a lot of people said, if that's what the afternoon show is going to sound like, then you guys got something really special. And we believe that we do. But an opportunity like this, I've been waiting so long for it. I never thought it was going to happen, and I was completely good with that, Spence. But now that it's here, I'm not taking anything or leaving anything to chance. I can't wait for us to get started September 5th with Freddie and Harry, 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday on ESPN Radio.
3: Congratulations, my friend. It's so well-earned. I'm thrilled for you. And hopefully it doesn't affect you popping over here from time to time because you're one of our favorites, Freddie. So have a great week, and we'll chat soon, man.
6: Sounds good, my friend. Definitely, always, not just because I'm going to the afternoon, doesn't mean I'm going away from hanging out with you, Spence. So you always got my number, my friend.
3: Right on, right on. There he is, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host. And I'll tell you what, uh, that is, that, that's a life lesson right there. Freddie has been doing overnight shifts for 19 years. 19 years. You know, if you're frustrated uh, with your current spot, if you feel like you've been working hard with no rewards, if, if you need a lesson to keep going, Freddie Coleman, man, that's, I'm, I'm just like smiling ear, ear to ear because I've been a huge Freddie fan for a number of years. He comes on the show uh, whenever he can. He is a pro and 19 years of late-night radio shifts, and now he gets his own primetime national spot. I am absolutely thrilled for my guy. So at Coleman ESPN is where you find him. September 5th is the new ESPN um, radio launch point, and it's going to be Chris Canty, Evan Cohn, and Michelle uh, Smallman in the mornings. That's 6 a.m. to 10. 10 o'clock, it's Mike Greenberg. At at noon, it's Chris Carlin and Joe Fortenbaugh, and then it's Freddie and Harry from 3 to 7, Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons, another good friend of the show who used to do radio here locally, will take over at 7. And then Q Myers and a rotating team of co-hosts will be 10 p.m. overnight up until 1 when SportsCenter All Night takes over. So 19 years of graveyard shifts, and then he gets the promotion to uh, afternoon drive on a national stage. Man, that is just awesome. Thrilled for my guy. All right, one hour down, three hours to go. Coming up on the other side, we're going to do a little soccer. We'll get back to pro and college football coming up a little bit later on. But before we catch our final break of the 2 o'clock hour, I want to tell you about my friends at Advanced Window Products. The showroom is located at 3552 South, 460 West in Salt Lake. They're the new title sponsor of the show. They specialize in all types of residential and commercial windows, doors, and sidings. They're family-owned and operated by the Orchard family. Of course, the mayor of Sac Lake City, our guy Nate Orchard, Porter's um, partner this year on pre and post-game for Utah Football Radio Great credit options, no payments or interest for an entire year. They have high performance rebates too. Zero money down, 0% financing. Inquire about their lifetime warranties as well. Give them a call at 801-438-3515. That's 801-438-3515 or visit advancedwindowsusa.com. All right, one hour down, three hours to go. A little RSL coming up with a Mecca Anelli. Then it's Chad O'Connell and Trey Camberling. We'll say goodnight around six o'clock right here
0: on ESPN 700. Drive. The RSL Insider today and every day is brought to you by Beer Bar. Head downtown for watch parties and game day shuttles to the stadium. More at BeerBarSLC.com.
3: break a tennis racket today what's going on here this is uh i just saw a tweet attributed to your twitter account with a picture of it looks like your feet with a broken tennis racket by your feet this is not a good look i mean coming from me i've never broken a golf club or a tennis racket or anything like that mm-hmm. so
4: what happened man what's going on you all right it's a frustrating sport yes man. it is um i i've kind of retired from i think the uh, the more and not that tennis isn't super physically uh demanding but mm. basketball hurts it hurts oh have, are you are, are you experiencing the aging process now are you are you about to hang up the sneaks ah uh, how old are you listen i used to play like regularly so i'll i'll, I'll play some pickup right yeah. maybe a little more like biweekly or so instead of All every right. damn day but uh tennis is a little easier to get into like more regularly sure. in yeah, 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 uh it's it's easier on the knees I was 28 when I had to retire from
3: playing like hardcore competitive hoops on the reg because I broke my leg. And you're getting there, right? I'm I'm
4: one year behind you. I'll All still right, play. Man. I'll still play. All I right. can still dunk. All right, but, boy. But yeah, tennis is really frustrating, especially when you're you know kind of novice. All right,
3: well, hang in there. Gonna bring in Sean O'Connell. We'll get back to some college and pro football. We'll do a little MMA, UFC, some pro football with Trey Camberling too. Freddie Coleman later on. But let's talk a little RSL. The match was postponed as Southern California has been hit pretty hard with some storms and even an earthquake. So RSL did not play over the weekend. They're back in action on Wednesday. We'll talk about that game with our next guest, Emeka Anelli, on the drive on a Monday. Emeka, how are you, man?
7: I'm good. How are you doing, friend?
3: I'm doing well. I appreciate your time. So I'm excited. I've never had a chance to uh, interview you before, so I'm excited uh, to do this. I just want to know how you're – Uh, inaugural season as a member of this club is gone like from a macro standpoint how's this year gone for you
7: yeah i think it's gone really really well i mean i think uh preseason i had a little bit of a tough start i had a, a little bit of a quad injury and trying to figure out my my contract situation so i think the first uh month and a half two months were a little bit cloudy but then once i got really integrated with the team uh just you know put my head down had to work really hard uh, I think it's it's been going really well uh, for the for the club. Um, me individually, I think I'm getting a decent amount of minutes, which is what I always hope for, and so I just want to continue doing that until the into the later parts of the season.
3: I, I wonder, Mecca, because Pablo obviously really likes you, and it, that's tough for rookies at times to earn the trust of a head coach. What do you attribute that to? Why 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 do you think Pablo has become such a big fan of yours so early on in your career?
7: yeah I think yeah trust is a huge part about i don't know once you're a, a rookie or like a newer player coming in because the the coaches always tend to play the players that they try and that they trust the most, so I think just uh having a good mentality you know um in in training every single day and working as hard as I can and training every single day like if you do that day in and day out the coaches are going to see that they're going to kind of recognize that and then they're going to put a little bit more faith in you a little bit more trust in you and then also you know having your teammates around you to to push you along uh, to make you better um if your teammates trust in you as well then you're going to trust in your ability even more and that's what's what's been happening uh these these last couple months and it's just been it's been a great ride so far
3: you know, Since I haven't had a chance to interview you before, whenever I interview somebody for, for the first time, I like to get to know them a little bit, Omeka. So let's go back. I, I want to learn about your roots when you were first introduced to the game. I promise I will not make an Andy Bernard Cornell joke, but you went on to obviously play at Cornell for four years, and I'm a child of the Northeast. I have... Uh, four or five buddies that went to Cornell, and it's a beautiful campus that I've visited before. But let's hear about your path when you were first introduced to the game and how you ultimately landed here at RSL.
7: Yeah, so I was born in Lansing, Michigan, um, and I think I I was probably introduced to the game probably when I was around maybe four or five, uh, which was obviously at a very young age. And then at around eight or nine is when I then moved to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so then I started playing club soccer, obviously in Columbus, uh, nine to maybe like 12 or 13. And then once I turned 13, maybe even 12 is when I joined the, uh, the crew academy. So the Columbus crew academy, which is kind of like the RSL academy. All the MLS have like those academies now. Um, and I was basically at the, the crew academy for five, six years until. I went to college um, at Cornell. I was talking to a couple different schools, but I think the coach at Cornell, John Smith really appealed to me. And obviously the education at Cornell obviously appealed to me as well. And so I committed to Cornell, I think my end of my junior year of high school um, started at Cornell fall of 2018 and played there for four years as well. Um, but before I went to Cornell, actually it was, it was, they were a really struggling team. I think the year before I committed, they only had one win, but then my coach, obviously John Smith, he came over from Stanford and kind of had all these promises and things like that. And when you hear college coaches say all those promises and like things that they can get for you and what they think you can achieve, it's obviously, you you don't know what to believe at that time because you're not there yet. So it was tough for me to decide, but I ended up going with Cornell and I'm glad I did because the things that I did there, the things that I learned there, um, Learn from my coaches, players, uh, people that I met there was just fantastic. So uh started off at Cornell, obviously freshman year. Uh Went pretty well. Sophomore year as well, went pretty well. Junior year, I think, that's when COVID hit. So uh, we didn't actually have a season my junior year. And then my senior year, again, just went even better than my, my last year I played. And I decided to take technically a fifth year because I had an extra year of eligibility through COVID. So then that was what I did this last fall and that was the best season we had so far. We made it to the, um, where was it? Round of 16 in the NCAA. Uh, I got second team all American and, um, graduated as well in December. So it just kind of all laid out itself. And I'm glad I, I made that decision with my, my parents, my family, my friends.
3: When, and this could be really early on. I, whatever I have an athlete on that's achieved success the way you have, and now you're a pro. I always ask this cause I think it's really fascinating. When did you know that you were really good at this and potentially had a chance to do it for a living?
7: Good question. I think, I think, I think I kind of realized that I was pretty talented when I was in the crew Academy, maybe like when I was around 15, 16, but also at that age, a lot of players are super, super talented. So like, Everybody's talented around that age, but I feel like once you get to like maybe like seventeen, eighteen, you know, nineteen, that's when you kind of decide in your head like, okay, I I really want to put my mind, I want to put my body, I want to put all of my effort into this sport, into hopefully trying to become a professional athlete. So I think, you know, my first year at Cornell, talking with my coach, um, we had a lot of like professional conversations about trying to play professionally. And I think that's when I really realized, like, oh, this is something I would love to do for, for a living um, and kind of just pushed push towards that goal uh, those three, four years that I was at now."
3: Prior to being drafted, did you have any knowledge of this market, any knowledge of Salt Lake, any knowledge of Utah? And then attended to that question, what has your experience been since landing in our market?
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't have much. I didn't have much experience with Utah, Salt Lake. Uh, I don't, nothing with the West Coast, really, because you know I was, I was born in Michigan, and moved to Columbus and Cornell's in New York, so always, always like in the Midwest on the East Coast. So it was kind of my first time, you know, coming out to uh, the West Coast or uh, Utah for an extended period of time, and um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it so far. I think obviously once. I think the biggest thing is like once you fly in, you know, you see the, the mountains and just the, the views that you see here on a daily basis. Like just even looking at my apartment window right now, just looking at the mountains, it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so pretty. Like I think that's something that, that will never get old. Um, things to do in Utah though, I think I've kind of been lacking, honestly. I feel like I'm not much of a big, of a big hiker or like super outdoorsy person, which is like, I feel like a lot of the recommendations that I get. So I think I still got some ways to explore in, in Salt Lake, but hopefully uh, if I stay here for a while that I can, you know, get around the city, and, uh, look at some new new sites, stuff like that.
3: Well, Emeka, according to the intel I received, one of the reasons why maybe you haven't experienced the state in maybe a way that you would like to is I've been told that you're one of the hardest working guys on the team and you literally live next door to the training facility. Where does that come from? Was that instilled by your parents? Where does your work ethic come from, Emeka?
7: No, yeah, I think definitely installed by my, my, parents. Um, my parents, they, they were born in Nigeria, then moved over here in their early to mid twenties and went to school here. So I think always seeing them, you know, working super hard, uh, to provide for, you know, me and my, my siblings, it just kind of instilled that work ethic into me. And I think even, I think I've had a work, ethic, a good work ethic in, in a lot of things, like especially school as well. Uh, and that just translated to soccer. So I just try and really aim to do the best that I can in everything that I put my mind to, uh, whether that's you know school, as I said, work, soccer, just everything. And uh, I enjoy doing it. So if you enjoy doing it too, it's not that much of a not that much of a chore. You know?
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So I was doing a little reading, and I found a couple of pieces that you were involved in. And one was uh, ten questions uh, with Emeka Nelli back when you were at Cornell. And I read yeah. that growing up, you played basketball and tennis. Um, a lot of soccer players, especially pros, just specialize in soccer from a very young age. Uh, you also played football as well. How did playing those other sports help you become the soccer player you are today?
7: I think it just taught me different different sports lessons. You know, when you play so many different sports, you meet so many different people, and they can just teach you teach you so much. I think I was the biggest in in basketball until, until I got to a certain age where, you know, I wasn't really growing any taller and everybody else was growing much taller than me. So I kind of had to give that up for like sixth, seventh grade. I think just being in that, in a team environment like that, um, from such an early age and growing up just helps you, you know, build connections and form relationships with other athletes. And you can just learn so much from them about like how to work hard, you know, how to have the right mentality or how to, uh, bring up a, a problem that you have with a teammate and how to resolve that. And those just go a long way, especially right now in your professional career. Just all of those instances, they all pop up again. They, they're reoccurring um, things that pop up. So I think having that that different sports breath in, you know, soccer, obviously tennis, football, basketball that I play, just has helped my, my soccer career grow.
3: I also read in the same article that growing up, you looked up to Lino Messi. And Omeka, should you guys win on Wednesday and Miami handles their business, you will play Miami in Sandy, Utah, and Leo Messi will be across the field. When I say that sentence, what goes through your mind?
7: Yeah, I disbelieve, honestly, because obviously I was when I did that, <laughs> that interview uh, four years ago at like right Cornell, you, you would not have never thought I would have ever even have the chance to be able to do that so just hearing you say that just a little a lot of disbelief but yeah i think he's he's one of the not one of the he is the best player to ever play i feel uh soccer and i mean he's showing in unless he showed it in the league uh in uh league one as well he's just a top top player so if if it ever gets to that chance that we're we're on the same field at the same time you know i would i'll be blessed and i would just you know savor savor every every single moment of that
3: all right. Here's the real question: If that happens, who gets to do the jersey exchange? There's only one Messi jersey. Who's who's gonna who's gonna be able to get to the front of the line to exchange their jerseys with Lionel Messi?
7: That's a that's a great question. I'm not even sure. I heard I heard through the grapevine that uh, a different team in MLS they had a little a little drawing out of a hat to to determine who who got. To, We'd have to trade jerseys with him, but no, we haven't even talked about any of that yet. Um, Just, you know, see when it comes, what happens, but yeah. So,
3: ultimately, you guys have also made some additions too. I mean, the Messi addition to Miami has garnered all the headlines, but from your vantage point in Mecca, what has Chicho Arango meant to RSL since landing on the ground?
7: Yeah, no, Chicho's a fantastic player and, uh, and an even better person, I mean, I think... A uh, strong, fast, you know, can finish, um, just makes the right runs. So he makes, he makes all of us better, you know, and I think, I think the, I was telling someone else just I think a couple of weeks ago, the thing about him is that obviously he's such a good player, you know, striking the ball, beating players, but he's also such a hard worker, uh, which is obviously something that we, we pride ourselves on as a team. So even when we don't have the ball, you know, he's tracking to win it back or working hard to get into the right positions. And I think when you have a player, you know, of his quality, I can also, you know, work hard. I think it inspires everybody else on the field as well, and it just drives us to become um, to become even better. So
3: I, I believe at Cornell you played – well, you're listed as a forward on the Cornell website, mm-hmm. and according to mm-hmm. the reading I've done prior to Cornell, you were more of a, an attacking player. Pablo, so far, has liked to use you, I believe, a right back, but I think your skill right. set – Indicates that you can be a little bit versatile. Has it been an adjustment to play on the back line after spending most of your soccer career closer to playing up top?
7: Um, A little bit. I think, yeah, I feel at Cornell, I played probably, I don't know my first two years, I played a little bit of left mid and I also played central midfield. And then my last two years is like I kind of played striker and also central midfield. So I think playing central midfield, obviously you have to attack and you have to defend. Uh, so I think I kind of learned a lot of, um, solid defending qualities when I was playing central midfield at Cornell. But obviously, it's, it's a different position. It's right back. It's a, it's a little bit of an adjustment, but, um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm open to it as well. I, I've loved, I've loved doing it. And I think, obviously, Pablo's helped me, uh, kind of fit into that, uh, position well, my, my teammates as well. So I think just trying to learn, you know, every single day, learn more and more about the position um what to do there and just to try and continue and grow in that position because obviously if you haven't if if you've played like central midfield for 10 15 years of your life obviously you like kind of know In the it's like kind of like the back of your palm you kind of know like what to do no matter what but playing right back is my first year so i'm just trying to you know get as much information as i can about it and and apply it is, is my goal
3: so culture has become kind of a cliche, Ameka, when it comes to you know pro sports. Build a culture like that, but it's a cliche because it's actually something that's a mandate for a healthy locker room to go achieve results. So I wonder, you know, you played for a lot of great coaches, I'm sure, throughout your youth career. Then in college, what's it like playing for Pablo, and what sort of culture has he built in that locker room?
7: Yeah, no, it, it it's great. I think the culture is is, is fantastic here it's like i don't we 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 aim to all be dogs you know we want to win as much as we can and just have that right mentality doing it and i think having that hard work that perseverance that when things don't go wrong it's okay it's okay to make mistakes as long as we you know fight to win it back just having all of those you know core principles uh it translates to the game and translates to how we've been playing in the last uh, two, three, four months. Because even if we go down a goal, you know, we, we still have that strength, that perseverance, that hard work to, to then win again. And I think it shows also on the road, you know, I heard in the MLS it's, it's one of the toughest things to, to get points on the road. And I think we have the best away record and that's due to our mentality to like, you know, never give up, to always work hard, to just have that steely look about us that like nothing's really going to phase us and when when all of us as a team at an 11 at an 18 as a whole group all 28 29 of us have that it it just it it works wonders it's 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 really it's neat to to be a part of it
3: you may have just answered my next question but I will ask it anyway because as you know the start of the season was not great but since then you guys have i, I mean it's been remarkable and you find yourself tied for second with LAFC in the West and have a chance to, nice. you know, maybe lift a couple of trophies before the season uh, has the sunset and it's over. What do you attribute, a mecca the turnaround to most?
7: Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's our, kind of like, I was like yeah, can I kind of did answer before. It's like our culture and mentality to, to continue on, to keep on pushing. Because obviously, I think at the beginning of the season, obviously you said we didn't uh, maybe play the best, but I also think like, we kind of got hard done by a few a few results I think and you know when that happens you know some people can like drop their heads lose confidence but that's just not in our in our DNA or what we want to be a part of so i think it just to continue pushing on continue working hard continue having that great mentality we kind of knew that if we continue to do that then the results would hopefully start to to fall in line which is which is what happened and we just want to continue continue on that until the uh, until the end of the season
3: all right, before I set you loose, I mean, and we've touched on elements of what I'm about to ask you, certainly, but I wonder if the form you've found over the past couple of months has changed what you guys believe that you can do the rest of the way. I mean, as I referenced, there are two big-time trophies on the line with Open Cup and MLS Cup 2. Uh, has the turnaround changed the way that you guys view yourselves, if that makes sense?
7: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I think... I think in on a sports team or feel like any team you're a part of, but even if it's not sports, like confidence is one of the biggest things that attributes to to what you guys can achieve. So obviously, when you win a couple games, you your confidence rises. Like at the beginning of the season, we obviously thought like our goal was to win MLS Cup, trying to win as many trophies as we can. And just as we have won a lot of games in this past you know couple months, the confidence has just risen in the group and risen and risen and risen. And I think that just Makes us, makes us even more hungry to, to try and really win Open Cup, obviously, and then win MLS Cup. So it's, it's, all, it's in the back of our minds. Um, it's something that we're going to aim to do, and that's, that's what we can do. it. We're, I'm excited. All right, buddy. Well, this has
3: been fun. I appreciate your time. Uh, good luck on Wednesday and the rest of the season, and love to do it, do it again Thank soon. You. Thank you, Emeka.
7: Yeah, I appreciate the call. Thank you.
3: All right, there he is, Emeka Anelli. Uh, technically a right back for Pablo. Um, he's played a little midfield in college. He was more of an attacking player. And it's rare for rookies in MLS to actually get time. He's played in 16 games. He started nine games. And uh, what a nice kid. That was a lot of fun. I've never had a chance to interview him, nor have I had, had a chance to meet him. Uh, the RSL game on Sunday was postponed. Uh, it is rescheduled for later on in the calendar. Uh, coming up on Wednesday, it's Houston. Uh, in the Open Cup semifinal, they're back in league play uh, against Houston. And then it's uh, Portland and then the stretch run. Uh, we're here, man. I, mean, I think about 10 games left, 10 matches left uh, for RSL. So I appreciate Ameka's time on this Monday afternoon. And that, of course, is always brought to you by our good friends at Beer Bar. We're going to be on remote at Beer Bar on Friday. It's located in the heart of downtown. 161 East, 200 South. They've got 50 beers on tap, another 100 plus cans and bottles. They offer amazing burgers and brats with sides of fries, salad, soups, homemade sourdough bread, too. They've got Apple TV ready to go for RSL games. So we appreciate Beer Bar bringing you the RSL Insider every single day. I said that
1: play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do
3: you listen to the show? Are you are you tuned in? I just said we'll be there on Friday. Thank you for the reminder, but Are you you're just having, just confirming. You're having a rough day. I mean, you broke a tennis racket, you know, you're just a little flustered.
4: I just didn't hear you say that.
3: Was that earlier today
4: that you broke the racket?
3: Last night, actually. So you posted the pick today of the racket you broke last night? One of those days. Were you playing doubles? Were you playing singles?
4: Just some singles. Who were you, um, who were you playing against? The roomie. Nice. So, you know, as sports are uh-huh. when, you're, when you're a beginner, uh-huh. um, frustrating, right? I've, I got, got, I've I
3: got a solution I for you. Stop. Pickleball. Uh, see mm-hmm, yep 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 i just lit the fire see all right hold on for our listeners here comes the tennis
4: snobs take on pickleball go ahead and i'm i don't know that i'm a tennis snob just yet uh i gotta play a little more and probably you know be uh decent at it to to consider myself that i have no issue with pickleball i don't i don't go have your fun do your thing i just see it as more of like a, a social game than like a intense competition and i'm just not there yet that's it all right if i'm like at a pub that's got like the little pickleball courts and there's there's games on and you know social atmosphere i'll play a little pickleball i just like to to get a little more movement in that's the only difference really now if i'm playing tennis and the pickleball warriors show up to the courts you're gonna have to wait
3: wait is that a thing do pickleball players show up to tennis courts and then tennis players get mad at pickleball players Only if they act like they own the place. Oh, I need need to witness (laughs) this. I mean, tennis players fighting pickleball players? Two two groups of people that couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag? I'd like to see that. Hey, now. Come on, man. Hey, now. You ever see a pickleball court stacked? It's not a bunch of, like, bruisers. That's kind of what I'm alluding
4: to, but I don't want to be the the snob, as you were alluding to.
3: All right. Well, as long as you're hanging in. Uh, special thanks to Emeka Nelly stopping by. We're going to catch up with Sean O'Connell, Trey Camberley, Freddie Coleman. The rest of the way is more or less uh, college or pro football. So a lot to do on a Monday. Keep it right here on ESPN 700. <laughs> we're definitely going to expand your led zeppelin catalog of selections because this is this just your favorite led zeppelin song of all time or is it the one that's the most easily
4: accessible um that's a good question I, narrowing down a favorite led zeppelin song it's a damn good song it's got to be on led zeppelin 4 okay um, which i i can argue is maybe the greatest album ever wow but oh, wow it's less about my Led Zeppelin discography, and, uh, and more about the, the radio station. Fair enough, fair enough.
3: Uh, we're going to bring in Sean O'Connell uh, coming up in about a half hour from right now. We also have Trey Camerlien, who used to be with the Jazz. Uh, he's made a move. We're going to let him uh, pop on and talk some pro football, tell you about his new gig. Uh, Freddie Coleman rolls by. We had Freddie on earlier. If you missed it, Freddie Coleman has been doing graveyard radio shifts for 19 years. And it was announced today that Freddie's getting his own primetime spot on a national stage for ESPN Radio. Just absolutely thrilled for the guy. Uh, Mecca Anelli, RSL defender, midfielder, whatever you like. He stopped by last segment. That was a lot of fun. I've never had a chance uh, to interview him. Uh, But, Porter, we started the show off today, a little Utah football conversation. We are 10 days away from Utah, Florida, one of the primetime marquee matchups, not just locally but nationally. Uh, for week one of college football. Week zero of college football actually gets rolling this weekend with some pretty decent games. If you missed it earlier, uh, Harbaugh is going to sit for three games. Jim Harbaugh is going to sit for three games. Uh, Michigan self-imposed a three-game ban after the NCAA threatened a four-game ban. Uh, The AP preseason All-American team is out. We can get to that coming up a little bit later on. But we were talking about should Cameron Rising come back um, and he's healthy enough to help Utah win their third straight Pac-12 championship, which is something no team has ever done in the history of the conference. Does that elevate Cam to the best quarterback of all time? Let me ask you, because I also referenced that I'm of the opinion that we will not see Cam week one against Florida. Let me be clear. I'm not reporting that. That's not based off of any information. But you talk to people up there. What's your understanding of where we're at with Cam right now?
4: My understanding is that uh, we're, we're now on really the three days that are going to decide this thing, right? Kyle and, and Co. are not going to throw Cam in there on zero days prep. They're comfortable with him as long as he's cleared and as long as he's had a little bit of practice under his feet. But if that's not the case and, and maybe he's cleared on, on Wednesday or Thursday of next week, they're not going to rush him out there. Um, from my understanding, this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Cam is kind of going through those processes, right, with the medical staff, with uh, the, the team doctor, with the the trainers up there. It's it's kind of a collective of folks who are going to make this decision. It's not just Cam. It's not just Kyle or Andy. It's Cam alongside those guys, alongside, frankly, probably a mix of six, seven team doctors who get to finally make the, the call. And to my understanding, last week Cam did a lot of throwing, a lot of kind of seven-on-seven stuff. He was moving well. I saw him uh, taking snaps and rolling out and chucking the ball downfield. It looked good, right, against air. But having that confidence to send him out there against a a Florida team who has guys on their roster who are 350-plus pounds, (laughs) you got to be real, real confident in sending your, your star quarterback out there. I hope we hear some things from... Uh, up at practice today, tomorrow, and, and the media availability this week. Um, but, Spence, if we get through these next couple of days and the word up on the hill is still iffy, then I think we can start to, to talk about Bryson Barnes taking that first snap at at uh, Rice Cycle Stadium and against Florida. But, again, it's, it's these three days uh, early this week that I think are probably going to decide whether Cam plays, whether or not we hear that. <laughs> That's left to be determined.
3: Yeah, and, and there's a good shot that we will not hear that. In fact, my my guess is we won't get the information. I've just talked to enough people, uh, namely doctors and such, and we've talked about Andy's article for the Trib that compared the timeline of quarterbacks who have torn ACLs in the past to what Cameron is dealing with in front of us. By the time Florida rolls into town next week, it's going to be roughly eight months since Cam had a surgery. Typically, the timeline for skill position players, quarterbacks and such, you tear ACLs is closer to 11 months. So this was always going to be an aggressive timeline. And yes, we received the, the news and the walking line out of the program that he's on track and his Porter reference, you go up there and you do see that he is throwing and um, he should be limited no matter what. I mean, even if he's fully healthy, he is the guy that you have to make sure he's upright and ready to roll. So even if he's fully healthy, make sure he's limited. That's just the nature of the quarterback position. Let me phrase the question like this. If Cameron Rising is not starting for Utah week one, and I remove Bryson Barnes from your options to answer this question, who has the most pressure to deliver on offense if Cam isn't playing and I, you can't say Bryson is an answer? Who, who has the most pressure?
4: Well, did Jaquindon? Yeah. If you're starting if you're starting Rice and Barnes it it, it goes to the running back room. Yeah, Jaquindon number 1. Um but if Cam is not able to go, you're going to see a shift of the playbook. And a lot of coaches don't necessarily admit to that, right? They like to say, "Ah, oh, we run we run our offense. The the defense dictates what we do," right? I talked to Andy Ludwig on on Friday and he explicitly said, "Yeah, like if Cam's not there our playbook shrinks it changes it changes what we do and how we approach our game plan so with all that in mind if Bryson's under center what you're going to see is more obviously runs more 13 personnel you're going to see Nate Johnson in um I don't want to say wildcat that limits what he is and what he can do but you're going to see him taking snaps and the pressure is going to be on the running back room. Jaquin and J- Jackson, Jalen Glover. Uh, the good thing here, Spence, is that there's four, five, six guys that we can mention as the running back room that are ready to run the football, ready to take snaps at the Pac-12 le- level and have taken snaps at the Pac-12 level. Chris Curry, back from injury. Makai Bernard, who can you know do a little bit of a different... Um, he brings a different skill set to the running back room. And then Jaquinden, who... I know he had flashes last year, Spence, but the things I've heard about Jaquinn in in the the moves that he's made, the leaps that he's made just in his second year being comfortable in that running back position, I think he's due for a breakout year at, at the tailback position, especially if he doesn't have Cam Rising in the backfield with him.
3: Real quick, did you just say 13 personnel? Damn right. I got the chills. It's It's you, late you, August, man. You know my man. me. You know me. It's almost September. You know me. When it comes to 13 personnel, like you are you are speaking my language. You know it. What about 14? No, well, hold on. <laughs> hey, let's not get let's not get crazy. I I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not with it, mm-hmm. but you know, got to have the personnel for it. What you just did may have triggered my mind completely into football season entirely without one statement. You say thirteen
4: personnel the hair, the hair on my arm stands straight up, baby. It, it's like a it's like a a spy robot, right? You get a trigger word and you just click in. A hundred percent. That's the one. Uh, real quick, let me let me check in. Um how great is Ball? You're gonna find out tomorrow. <laughs> Come on. I, I need an answer. How great is Ball? I, I'm gonna leave that to, to Yogi. Who joins us on show? Is a Yogs Tuesday. on tomorrow? Yes, sir. My guy. We got our first dudes drop with Freddie Coleman. I thought that was going to happen tomorrow, but Freddie, uh, Freddie usurped the, the yogi dudes. They got dudes. They got dudes. I got to love it. Got to love it. So,
3: um, you know, lost in all of this, Porter is, I think this is going to be a phenomenal football season. There are so many intriguing mm-hmm. storylines. Like I was listening to Feldman and Mandel and they had a writer on who was an Oregon State alum. She works for USA Today and like, she, she's describing the Oregon State alumni apparently have just accepted their reality. They're, they're referring to themselves as the new Boise State. Okay. Cause her assertion is they're going to go to the Mountain West, dominate every year, go to the playoff. Cause now it's expanded and they're going to make up money that way. But like the, the Oregon, Oregon State game, Washington, Wazoo, there's genuine vitriol
4: from Oregon State towards Oregon. They feel like they've been completely left behind. Well, after the Brady McCullough article last week, it gave us a little more insight on just how big it was Oregon and it was USC. UCLA, of course, was was kind of a – they were just going with USC regardless. But the the presidents, the ADs, and the decision makers at Oregon and USC and, of course, the Big Ten and, and Fox essentially killed the Pac-12. Yeah, It was those two schools that drove that ship, especially as it came down to the end. Colorado, and it was interesting, Freddie brought this up, Colorado, Spence, they were in more of a position where they were trying to recoup losses. Colorado financially was in a really tough spot, and that kind of drove their move, I think, more so than than Oregon and and USC. Now, (laughs) you look at Oregon State, the the Boise State stuff, right? It's true, but the difference here is, Spence, the playoff is expanding in two years, and there is an avenue... Where you can recoup a lot of losses financially. Who cares if teams are, or, or fans are watching your games in October if they're not on television? If you're in the playoff in January with 20 plus million eyes on you and 20 plus million dollars in your pocket, there is an avenue where if you didn't get in to this new P5, P4, whatever it is, there's an avenue where during this next five to ten years of uncertainty, right, as we kind of move towards this new landscape of college football where those fringe teams, it's make or break. They have a real opportunity to kind of be the Utah, the Boise State of the prior 10 to 15 years. And for teams like Oregon State, that can be exciting, but it's also high-risk, high-reward type situations when you're kind of just uh, out there in the wings, waiting to see what the next move in college sports is.
3: Yeah, the other thing with Colorado, and we heard this early on when they hired Dion, they're like, "We're not really sure how we're going to pay the contract. We got to figure it we're, out. We're in debt, <laughs> right? So, so they got to pay their head coach. By the way, in case you missed it, Jennifer Cohen, who has been with UW for a long, long time, has been hired by USC as their AD. Uh, I don't know Jennifer, but she has a great reputation around the conference. And, you know, there was some there was some noise a number of weeks ago. Mark Harlan has signed an extension with Utah, but Mark spent some time in California with UCLA. There was some noise that maybe USC would look to poach Mark, but they've gone a different direction. So USC has a new uh, athletic director. It's Jennifer Cohen, who, like I said, spent a number of years with the University of Washington. All right, we will catch a quick break. Coming up next, we're halfway home on a Monday afternoon. Hopefully you guys are off to a good start to your work week after having a uh, a, a great uh, a great weekend as well well uh, we'll bring in Freddie Coleman coming up in just a little bit uh, two after Sean stops by it's Trey Camling for pro football ultimately it's football the rest of the way if you missed the Mecca uh, Nelly from RSL you can check that out on the podcast page the drive on a Monday keep it right here on ESPN 700 We're going to bring in Trey Camberlin coming up in a little bit. Trey has a new gig, spent a number of years with the Utah Jazz, and now he's. Uh, I'll let him tell you what he's doing, a lot of pro football with Trey. Freddie Coleman, who has a new time slot, 19 years of graveyard shifts doing radio, and Freddie was just given a primetime national radio platform, just thrilled for him, man. Uh, but joining us now to talk a little football, whatever else comes our way, maybe a little MMA, one of our favorites, Sean O'Connell, on a Monday. What up, Sean? Happy Monday, buddy.
8: Well, happy Monday to you, and uh, I will echo your sentiment. Happy for Freddie Coleman, one of the best in the business. Pretty cool to see him uh, in a more visible, listenable spot.
3: You know, it's, it's such a life lesson, Sean, and somebody like you who made a living as a professional fighter, you, you know, it's like Paul McCartney used to say, we, we toiled and toiled for decades and then became an overnight success. Like, for anybody who's frustrated with their lot in life, Freddie Coleman, nineteen years graveyard shifts, and then he gets his promotion after that long. I mean, it really is a life lesson that you can translate over into sport training for a fight or whatever it is. You know what I mean?
8: Yeah, no, you're right. The, we should all be playing the long game, and it's very easy to get caught up in like the uh, the need for overnight, you know, satisfaction, the need for immediate success. But we should all be reminded that you know, if you keep putting in the work you will eventually see a reward, whether that's just, you know, a personal reward, uh, whether it's a lesson learned, or in his case, especially, you know, something that is much more obvious and nationally relevant and hopefully lucrative, right? I mean, I hope that uh, all that work is paying off in the literal and the figurative sense for Freddie.
3: No doubt. Just out of curiosity, kind of in the same vein uh, with this question, did you, you, you know, were you a proficient fighter immediately? Did you know that you could be good at this immediately, or did you have to put in a lot of work over a number of years until you started you know, winning fights and beating other really good fighters?
8: Uh, both, because I started on the local scene, like the low level, right? And because I was a decent athlete and decently tough and hit hard, that was enough. So, you know, in my very first few fights, I was successful, without really knowing what I was doing. Just, you know, close your eyes, swing as hard as you can. And because I wasn't fighting anyone with remarkable skill, they would fall down and I would feel cool and thought I was, you know, the next big thing. And then I started training with a real camp. I started going down to Jeremy Horn's place and guys that were quite literally 70 pounds lighter than me were submitting me. And it was uh that sort of informative experience that you have to have as a fighter, as an athlete, really in any sport, I think that, you know, there's always a bigger fish. And sometimes that bigger fish is even smaller than you and is going to humble you <laughs> pretty pretty severely. So, yeah, I had, like, the kind of overnight success uh, jumping in and, and not really knowing what I was getting myself into and, you know, just fighting in the clubs and the bars and thought that I was awesome and then started to train with people who were actually, you know, UFC level, started to train with people who were actually on the cusp if we're doing the the baseball equivalent, you know, these are triple A fighters instead of high schoolers. And I was like, oh, OK, so there is there are levels to this business. And uh, I learned the hard way many times. But eventually I was the guy who had to teach other people that. Right. I was the nail at first and then I became the hammer. And uh, I guess I ended up. Being a little bit more of a hammer than a nail, which is all you can hope for in combat sports
3: you know you certainly did, and you may have just answered the question i 'm about to ask you, but I always find it interesting to uh, to ask you know high level athletes was was there a moment or a fighter like for me it, I was seventeen years old when I was invited to five star basketball camp, and I played against professional players, and I knew that i wasn 't like them. It was Jerry Stackhouse and Sham God Wells and Rasheed Wallace like I, I, you know, for the first time, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be a professional basketball player. What a bummer! Was there a fighter like Porter tells the story playing against Dame Lillard? Was there a fighter or a moment where you were like, okay, that guy's just different, and I'm not. Yeah, I mean, you excelled in one championship, so it's it's a loose parallel. But was there a fighter or a moment when you realized just how dominant certain fighters can be?
8: Uh, yeah, we had when early in my career, early when I was training with horn right jeremy horn has a lineage that goes back to the early early days of mixed martial arts and um a partnership and he was the he was one of the like sort of foundational guys at a place called militich fighting systems where rich franklin and pat militich and matt hughes and robbie lawler Jens pulver tim sylvia all these legends in the game were all training together at one point point. and jeremy moved out here to chase a girl like so many of us do and uh that, that didn't end that relationship. So Matt Hughes would come out and train with us, like eight time UFC champion Matt Hughes in the welterweight division would come do sometimes half of his camps with us in Salt Lake City. And I remember sparring with him one day and being like, Oh, you know what? I can hang. Okay. I know he's smaller than me, but like, like I can hang with a world champ and it made me feel good. And then we wrestled. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, okay. He weighed probably 185 pounds and felt like a silverback gorilla. And I was just like, man, there is a difference between world championship level and even high level, because I felt like I was getting to a high level. World championship level is just totally different. And, uh, you know, you experience that when you're in these gyms. Uh, You experience that on football fields like most of us had that at some point, whether it was in high school or in college, where it's just like, oh, (laughs) okay, yeah. That that guy's going to be something, and I'm not. You know, I remember being at the U, and Chris Kimoyatu was, you know, starting offensive lineman, and I'm on scout team, and they have us. They're like, okay, this is a live period. I want you blitzing. I want you as fast as you can through that a gap. You go, and it took one hand for him to just like (laughs) stop me dead from a full sprint. Like literally, he's in his stance, throws one hand out, and it stops me dead. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're not all built the same. Some of us are human and some of us are him.
3: Yeah, no doubt. Hey, tell me about Sean O'Malley over the weekend, beat Al Jermaine Sterling, uh, bantamweight title, UFC 292. Did that that move the needle for you at all?
8: It did. I mean, I I thought Aljo was going to win that fight. I thought that um, Sean O'Malley was more of a one-trick pony and that Aljo, who's a really good wrestler, really diligent uh, takedown artist, was going to be able to to frustrate O'Malley and to stifle his um his beautiful long range strikes by just getting inside of it and pressing him against the cage and taking him down and you know elbowing him and and trying to get on his back to choke him and things like that and O'Malley just put on a master class of footwork and and uh the beautiful pole counter where he caught Algermain coming in you know he did that retreating step and then just threw the long the long straight punch and that was the beginning of the end it was very very impressive from a guy who's a, already a master of marketing himself and you know has done really well investing his his um, fight success and his star star power in the fight game into uh, he's got like his own strain of marijuana and all this crazy stuff so he's a he's a smart kid and you know he's a UFC world champion while he's still in his 20s so he is going to make a lot of money
3: before we move over to football, tell our listeners about the PFL playoffs. you got an event in New York coming up on Wednesday, Sean. Tell us about it.
8: Yeah, this is uh, this is the best one. We've had our playoffs, the light heavyweights and, and featherweights first, and then uh, it was women's featherweights and men's heavyweights uh, last week, and then this one is the lightweights and the welterweights, and those are our two most stacked weight classes. And a local guy, Clay Collard, who is from – uh uh from southern utah from southeastern utah castledale actually is fighting in the main events and has an opportunity to you know really a good opportunity to win this semifinal and and probably you know win a championship this year he's he's one of the few guys that in that weight class can do it and uh i'm i'm really pulling for him he anyone who knows his story he's been through an immense amount of personal tragedy and loss Family tragedies in these last couple of years, and he's just stayed focused and worked really, really hard. And he's one of the most exciting fighters in the world in any weight class in any organization. So he's our main event on Wednesday night. Hopefully, everyone tunes in and supports the local guy.
3: All right, man. Yeah, I'll I'll be watching for sure. Good stuff. Hey, now that it's been it's been a few weeks since we've caught up, and it's been about four weeks since the announcement of Colorado bouncing, and then. Washington, Oregon, followed by, of course, Utah and the Arizona schools. Um, Since we've had a little space to digest all this, I wonder where you're at with it now, you know, learning some of the other details. McCullough with a great article from the L.A. Times. Uh, All of it really outlines a tremendous amount of arrogance and hubris from Larry Scott and his enablers. Let's be very clear. It's still somewhat puzzling to me that we find ourselves with no permanent home for West Coast football. But where are you at with this brick by brick collapse of the Pac-12? Well,
8: I'm still sad about it. Like I'm I'm trying to transition into excitement, you know, it's week 0. USC plays this week and then Utah plays on a short week next week. So it's like time to kind of put away all the the hand-wringing over the conference level stuff and and start to focus on actual football. So I'm trying to do that, but also I'm just really bummed that You know, the 108-year history of a great conference was taken down over, uh, you know, 15 years of poor leadership decisions. And it's just like, there's, there's going to be books written on this. This is going to be a case study in leadership classes for business programs moving forward, like for probably, you know, political science classes moving forward. The way that bureaucracy and poor leadership can take down some of the most solid, foundational, like, incredible programs and, and tear apart a Pac-12 conference is, is always going to be a bummer. Like, I'm glad Utah and BYU will be playing conference games again. But I'm always going to be bothered that instead of getting excited about Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA coming to Rice-Echo Stadium, I'm going to have to drum up excitement about Canton State and Baylor and Oklahoma State doing the same thing. Uh, for the college basketball fans, I guess this is a good thing, right? Because the Big 12 basketball conference is deeper and better and more fun. It's going to be harder for Utah to rebuild its success in, in this world. So, I don't know. I'm probably like like many of the listeners, like maybe like you yourself, just irritated that that people that are so highly compensated and that have these jobs that are so desirable can be so bad at them. It just sucks.
3: Yeah, well said. It, it it continues to just confuse, like, it's it was so easily avoidable with just a, a few different decisions, you know, and the more we learn, the more frustrating it is, but to your point, we do have a very exciting, potential exciting season in front of us. I think it's going to be awesome in a lot of ways. I, I want to know, Sean, Um, you, you have connections, you talk to people up there, this is just my opinion. I'm not reporting anything. I don't think Cam's ready week one, personally. What are you hearing about the number one topic here locally, uh, the status of Utah's quarterback, Cameron Rising?
8: I will be more surprised if he's dressed than if he's you know wearing a headset. And I wish that weren't the case. If we all want to see it, Cam more than anyone wants to see Cam Rising playing against the University of Florida. I, I don't anticipate that that's going to be the reality. I know that he has a doctor's appointment this week, where he's either going to get cleared full go or he's not. And if it's not 100% cleared, full confidence from the medical team, then there's absolutely zero chance you will see him uh, dressed and and certainly not starting against Florida. And you know we're getting we're, we're getting close to the time already where he needs to be practicing. He needs to be like full go, unlimited practice because. Yes, you can simulate things, and yes, he is a more veteran quarterback who's, uh, you know, the margin for error with him in in preparation is probably a little bit wider because of his level of experience. But you can't have a guy, you know, dress out for two contact practices next week and then start against Florida. This can't happen. He needs to be practicing this week, you know, live action, full speed. Obviously, no one's going to hit him, but they need to be coming at him just as fast as they will in games. Uh, He needs to see his defensive back read just as fast as they will be happening in games. And as far as we know, that's not happening yet at practice. So if it, if it doesn't start like today, tomorrow, then he's not going to start against Florida.
3: All right. And, and I agree with everything you just outlined and you know, Kyle himself uttered Bryson Barnes as the guy who will potentially be under center. We know that Brandon unfortunately suffered that injury too, Uh, Andy Ludwig last week uh, acknowledged that the playbook would be different with Bryson as opposed to Cam. That's not breaking news, but what do you think the offense looks like schematically coming up next week should Bryson be under center?
8: It's going to be a little bit more of a throwback to the many years of Utah football, most of them when Andy Ludwig was not a coordinator, where you're winning uh, despite your quarterback or kind of around your quarterback, not because of your quarterback. Everyone here has been, you know, myself included. We've all gotten so spoiled and and accustomed to Cam Rising being able to do like two or three times a game pull out these Houdini tricks and extend the drive with an important third down scramble or avoid a sack and find Dalton Kincaid or whatever. Right? Bryson Barnes is capable of doing those things, but not to the same degree that Cam is, which means you have to make everything a little bit more conservative. You've got to get the ball out of his hand a little bit quicker. You've got to make your routes a little bit shorter. You've got to make sure that your running game, you're leaning on those backs, your offensive line, uh, the protections might even be a little bit different. You might have to keep an extra guy in the box because maybe Bryson Barnes isn't picking things up the same way that Cam is. And I, by the way, am a lot more confident in Bryson Barnes' ability to be a good quarterback, to be a good football player than most people. Like, I'm probably his biggest fan. But he's not Cam Rising and I'm not going to pretend that he is. So I think what you're going to see is a return to, you know, the, the earlier days of Pac-12 football with Utah where you've got a, a real heavy emphasis on running the ball. You're doing 60-40 run game to passing game. You're doing short and intermediate routes. You're trying to hit tight ends down the seam over the middle. You probably have a, a little bit of a rollout game where it's just designed to get open space in front of Bryson. Not with him having any intention of of pulling it down and running, but just making sure that he's got a clear passing window where he's not, you know, looking through upraised defensive line arms and things like that. I'm confident though, I mean, Florida is not a great team and they have been banged up with injuries as well. So I'm still confident that this team can win a game against Florida with Bryson Barnes.
3: You were the one that I heard first talk about Jaquindon potentially being an all-Pac-12 mm-hmm. running back. But that room is crowded, man, and that's, that's, uh, that, that's really good news uh, for a team that might be without QB1 for a week or two. Uh, what, what, what do you make of what we may see, to your point, with a throwback-type schematic attack with this running back distribution with so many talented players in that room?
8: That's that's maybe an even better question, right? Because there's merit to leaning on a guy, letting him be your bell cow, and letting him get into a rhythm. And then there's also the, hey, we've got a whole committee of backs, like a bunch of really solid and we think reliable backs, especially in week one. Let's see what these guys are capable of. And maybe we find that Jalen Glover is the hot hand. You know, he's... He's playing against the Florida team. He's from Florida. Maybe he's the one who's got a little extra gas in the tank because of that. That's a harder balance for me, right? Because I've never been a fan of, like, you're just rotating guys in every down, and you never let your running backs get into a rhythm. You never let them get kind of like the the feel for what the offensive line is doing, especially against some of the big bodies Florida's going to have. But uh, the more salient question, the more important thing is, are you hitting a goal of five-plus yards a carry as a total run game. Because that's what you need. Like with a with a quarterback question with maybe not a superstar quarterback but a guy who's just more of a game manager, more of just like a, an old reliable, you got to be getting averaging 5 yards a carry and you got to be uh, excellent, I mean flawless really in ball security. So whoever has been the best at that, I think we'll get the bulk of the carries. Only Kyle Whittingham and 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 company up there know who's put the ball on the turf the fewest times in camp, that's the guy you're going to see get the most touches in week one.
3: We started the show off with this topically. Um, let, let's say Cam gets back before league play, UCLA the 23rd, and let's say he stays healthy all year, puts up the numbers that we're anticipating and i have already seen a healthy Cameron Rising put up, and somehow, someway, Utah is able to win their third straight Pac-12 championship a feat that has never been done before in the conference does does that catapult cam to top of the list as far as the greatest quarterback in utah football history should all that go down
8: i still think alex smith is a heisman finalist and a guy who probably should have won the damn heisman that year uh is going to be 1a but it's it puts it puts cam at 1b if you know if not better than that like he has been incredible and he's achieved things that Alex was never given a chance to achieve already, right? He's won championships in a Power Five conference. He's beaten USC twice in a season. He's beaten Oregon when it, all the chips are down. Like Cam has done things that even Alex Smith was not asked to do. I'm fully confident Alex would have been capable of doing that. I think that you know his uh, competitiveness, intelligence, toughness is all above reproach at this point because of what we saw from him at Utah and then, of course, at the NFL level. But if Cam Rising doesn't play another down for Utah, if he's got setbacks in the knee and he has like a a post-surgery year, kind of like Britton Covey had, where it's just like, hey, this isn't working, i got to shut this thing down, that's worst-case scenario. But Cam Rising is still a first-ballot Utah Football Hall of Famer. He is an absolute legend. He's a guy who should never have to buy an adult beverage in Salt Lake City for the rest of his life. I mean, he has done things for this program – that I don't think anyone else would have done. I don't think other people would have stuck around the way the Cam stuck around when Charlie Bleep and Brewer was given the start over him while he was a team captain. And all he did was maintain a positive attitude, and when it was his turn, lead the team to its first-ever conference championship. No matter what, this dude's a legend. But I think Alex Smith is still the best quarterback in school history.
3: So the answer to this question might be contingent upon the health of Cam Rising, because everything might be contingent upon Cam's health, but the last 1,000-yard receiver was Drez Anderson, which was a decade-plus ago, I believe. Is, is there a 1,000-yard receiver on the roster this year, Sean?
8: Wait, didn't Darren Carrington have 1,000 yards?
3: I read that it was yeah, Drez, but I'll, I'll look that up. But the, the point still stands. Yeah. It's been a minute. The
8: point, yeah, <laughs> the point stands. It's been uh, thin. Uh look, the the answer's no until the answer's yes. Like I'm not I'm not gonna say that you've got like Devon Vale is the guy. I'm I'm just gonna tell you that this is a very talented room. All right. Uh Micah Pittman is an absolute monster of an athlete. Do they get the ball into his hands enough? Does he have enough yak? Um is is he the right fit for everything they're trying to do? Do they have does he have chemistry with not just Cam rising who he's known since childhood, but like every quarterback on this roster because it sounds like two or maybe even three of them are going to end up playing. All of that is contingent upon who ends up with, uh, you know, being the number one receiver. But I, I also think that whoever your, your elite wide receiver is, you're splitting touches with hopefully a healthy Frank Keithy. So that makes it even harder to be a thousand yard receiver. So for me, The easiest answer is, no, there's not a 1,000-yard receiver on
4: this roster.
3: According to my producer slash showbooker slash stats and information, Porter, you've been able to uncover something. Let's hear it. Yeah,
4: 2017, Darren Carrington had 980 yards, so just shot. Right there. So Uh, it was
3: close. It was very close. Hey, Sean, before I set you loose, um, Brigham Young, no votes in the AP poll. Chris Fanini from The Athletic released his 1 through 133 rankings of all the uh, FES teams and Brigham Young comes in at 60 over under Vegas four and a half uh, they did suffer one injury in the in the backfield uh, the secondary excuse me but overall they seem to be healthy um, I've asked you this before but it's been a few weeks what are reasonable expectations year one for BYU when so many of these national outlets don't seem to be all that high on the roster
8: well they're not high on them it- because they haven't been paying super close attention and they're not that high because there's still a big question mark around what Keaton Slovis is as your starting quarterback. I'm probably, I'm probably higher on him than most people. I'm probably higher on this defense under Jay Hill than most people are. I don't think, you know, a lot of the national media understands what Jay Hill really is as a coach. Uh, and so this defense is going to be better, uh, especially in their front seven. They're pretty dang talented. You know, Ben Bywater's is a really good player. Tyler Batty's a really, really good player. They, they've got some. They've got some talent now. So if those guys can stay healthy, I think that they're going to be pretty darn good. But it is a step up, right? So six and six, seven and five. I mean, eight and four would be an absolutely phenomenal season. But I do expect them to be bowl eligible. So I'm going to say six and six is is probably the floor I'm setting for BYU. All
3: right, my guy. You headed to New York for the event on Wednesday. Or are you laying back?
8: I am headed to New York. I'm flying out on the red-eye tonight. And uh, I, I wanted to have a little bit of extra time at home with the kids, so I'm taking the red-eye. But on Wednesday, ESPN Plus for the prelims and ESPN for the main card. You do not want to miss, even if you just tune in for the main event, Clay Collard versus Hurricane Shane Burgos, that is a local boy, Clay Collard. You should be supporting him. Everybody tune in on ESPN on Wednesday night.
3: You keep that list of restaurants I sent you last time you went to New York. You have that handy?
8: (laughs) You know what? I didn't keep it because I already ate all of them, so I need a fresh one.
3: (laughs) All right, man. I'll I'll love it over safe travels. I appreciate your time, and we'll be tuned in on Wednesday, all right?
8: All right. Thanks for having me, fellas.
3: Sean O'Connell, the great OC. Get him on Twitter, at O. C Sports is where you find him. You can see him uh, for the PFL playoffs coming up on Wednesday night, live in New York. Appreciate Sean's time. We're going to bring in Trey Camberling coming up next. He has made a change after a number of years with the Utah Jazz. He's got a new gig, so we'll talk some pro football with Trey. Uh, Freddie Coleman will stop by in the 5 o'clock hour. In case you missed it, ESPN made uh, an announcement today, which affects our station as we are the affiliate uh, here in the market. There's a new ESPN Radio National lineup. And Freddie Coleman, after 19 years on the graveyard shift, doing a bunch of radio, I mean, talk about a great story, perseverance. Uh, Freddie has now been given uh, the afternoon drive primetime national slot along with Harry Douglas. Uh, So Freddie will stop by a little bit later on, but some football coming up next with Trey, so keep it here on ESPN 700. (laughs) All right. We're getting, uh, getting weird on a Monday, Monday afternoon. This might be the first Gucci main track in the four plus year history of the radio show. It might be. It might be. It's definitely the first one I've done. Uh, All from right. Led Zeppelin to Gucci. There you go. There you go. And, uh, it is the walk up song for our guy. Spent a number of years with the Utah Jazz and he's got a new gig. We'll let him tell you about it. Trey Camberline on a Monday. Trey, happy Monday, buddy. How we doing?
5: Good good Spence and I got to say you know I've been asked uh what my walk up song would be you know if I was in the UFC and it's always been lemonade Gucci Mane so I figured today was the perfect day to break it out I I'd, I'd be kind of uh in the John Jones weight class right now so I got to, you know, get get back, uh, do some cardio and get back in the gym, and then I can, you know, make my debut. But yeah, that, that'd be my go-to song.
3: That a boy. Well, I appreciate you hopping on. So you spent a number of years over at the Jazz uh, doing a lot of digital stuff, director of basketball content. Tell us and the listeners what you have going on now. You've made a little bit of a move, Trey. Let's hear about it.
5: Yeah. So uh, I accepted a position as the director of digital strategy with FantasyPoints.com Uh so basically just all things fantasy football. Um, I, I started a new podcast, uh, with Joe Dolan, one of the owners. We had Austin Eckler on, uh, that came out today. Last week, our, our majority owner, John Hansen had Adam Schefter on his Hansen's Hints podcast. So it's just a lot of fantasy football analysis. Uh, and I do a lot of the social media. So posting the memes, posting the updates, graphics, videos you name it, uh, kind of some of the same things I was doing for the Utah Jazz I, I do here over at Fantasy Points.
3: Very nice. So I do want to talk fantasy football, but, you know, I've never had you on the show before, and, you know, you are a guy that a lot of people in this market and certainly a lot of people over the Utah Jazz came to know and really love, and you did a lot of good work over there. What what were some of your takeaways from the number of years you spent over, well, with the Utah Jazz here in our market?
5: Oh, man, there, there were so many. Uh, re- really the biggest thing, and uh, I'm, so I'm not from Utah, not from Salt Lake. I have no reason to be a homer, but man, it's, it's one of the more well-run organizations in the NBA, top to bottom. Uh, there's just a, a different culture there, and I've, I've been a few different places, and I know a lot of people from other teams, uh, from the facility to how they handle themselves day to day to how seriously they take it. They just kind of, uh, in a, in a class of their own, in my opinion. And again, I'm not from there, so I have no reason to, to hype it like that, but really, they they do a fantastic job. And so just to kind of be a part of, of that culture with, with Quinn Snyder and then again with Will Hardy, uh, a, a culture of elevation and a, and a culture of just doing the right thing every day and not skipping any steps. Uh, it I was the, some of the best years of my life, four, four and a half years, and, and uh, I, I loved every second of it.
3: Good stuff, man, good stuff. So now let's move over and help some people because it's that time of year. I've got a couple of drafts coming up this weekend. Let's talk about the spine, tray of a healthy, uh, successful fantasy football team from a 30,000-foot view before we get into specifics. What advice would you give our listeners who are about to head into some drafts about how they should approach the thing?
5: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's multiple different ways to draft. I think the most popular is going to be round-by-round, round, you know, traditional redraft. This is a strange year uh, in in that – It's really wide receiver heavy this year. If you've been playing fantasy football for a long time, you know, the traditional approach is always to grab running backs early. First two rounds, first three rounds, you got to be going after running backs. That sort of thinking, and and you can see how players are priced in has shifted a little bit this year. The top, you know, four of the top five guys are are tight ends and wide receivers. You're looking at Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, uh, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill's up there, Travis Kelsey. Um, and Christian McCaffrey, probably the number one running back, is, is now kind of sliding into the third pick or fourth pick. Um, that, that's been a big shift. Uh, and then if, if you're an auction drafter or a salary cap drafter, what, what that basically means for you now is that if you can understand that and, and navigate in that space, you're going to see wide receivers, um, go for their, for higher marks than you've ever seen in your salary cap drafts. But those running backs will probably happen to me the other day. Still stay as high as they've kind of been going, so you get to the later uh portion of the draft where there's still some good players available, and you're you're seeing some bargains in in my draft, which is pretty competitive. I got uh like cam makers for like six dollars, which is uh pretty low. I got Kyle Pitts for like five, which is extremely low for Kyle pitts uh just just by avoiding some of those uh top end you know players you gotta grab a few so make sure you you know get your get your big time guy you need a couple guys to lean on but Save some of that money for the, the middle to late rounds, and, and you'll be happy with where you end up.
3: All right, let's go position group by position group. And the way I'll frame the question, let's just start with quarterbacks. So the way, the way I'll frame this is, you know, tell me just generally speaking who you think the top-performing quarterbacks are going to be this year, then give me a sleeper, and then give me a quarterback you think is overvalued leading up to fantasy drafts this year.
5: First, first one off the top of my head, uh, I'm – it's, there's that middle section here. You're talking like pick five through seven. It's the Justin Herberts of the world, the Trevor Lawrence's of the world. Again, if you're in a one quarterback league, those guys are gonna probably be a little bit cheaper, uh, than, than what you're even seeing ADP wise. So, uh, typically, Spence, I'd be the type of guy that's grabbing a quarterback as late as I possibly can, you know, this year'd be you're looking in at that Deshaun Watson tier guys, Aaron Rodgers, guys that are typically, you know, going for a dollar in an auction league or going at the end of your draft that you can just kind of slide in and grab without having to spend too much. Uh, but now that the the mid round quarterbacks are kind of looking a little better this year, I, I think a Justin Herbert or a Trevor Lawrence are probably going to be at the top of what you're looking for this year. Another guy, I mean he's he's at the top of the league behind Patrick Mahomes is Josh Allen. Uh, I'll talk about the fantasy point data suite a little bit later, but last year, Josh Allen led the league. He lost about 400 passing yards uh, in drop passes. So if if you would expect that number to change a little bit this year, get a little bit better, uh, maybe you'd see him jump back up into that one or two spot uh, where Mahomes and Jalen hurts were kind of sitting this year. But uh, as far as overrated, uh, I mean, the, the, like I said, with running backs and wide receivers being pushed so far up, I, I feel like, you can't go wrong with with any of the top quarterbacks uh if you're going to i mean the only way you could go wrong is by overpaying so you can wait a little bit um and then a, a late round guy that i'm really loving right now is uh Anthony Richardson rookie quarterback for the Colts uh i wrote a piece on him uh before the draft about how how i could see him becoming this uh player like we've never seen before just based on his athletic profile and he showed out uh, at the combine and you see, you saw Justin Fields last year, uh, quarterback six, I believe. He only passed for 150, 160 yards a game, but he you know, had that rushing floor, and that's really all you need. If you can get 60 rushing yards a game, 50, 60, uh, you can start climbing up the rankings really quickly.
3: Obviously, it depends on the type of league you're in and the way you want to approach the roster, but when should people look to start drafting quarterbacks, just generally speaking, Trey?
5: Generally speaking, it's always best to wait. Um, it's tempting to... To have the Patrick Mahomes or the Josh Allen, but always wait. I mean, there's there's such good value at the bottom of these drafts. Uh, again, Deshaun Watson, you know the Justin Herberts of the world. Uh, I I would say this: if you have to draft a quarterback early, the one guy that I think makes sense is Jalen Hurts, just because he gets so much rushing volume and he's so active in the red zone on the ground that he's really the only guy that if, if you're going if you're gonna go for one early. Go for the Jalen Hurts, uh, if a little bit later, maybe the Lamar Jackson. He's a little bit riskier, but yeah, I, it's <clears throat> generally speaking, avoid quarterbacks at the top of your draft. Wait, just wait till the end. Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, those guys are going to be in the back half of your draft and they, you know, Deshaun Watson is one of my favorites this year. I, I think he has a, a real chance to get closer to where he was, you know, before uh, all the off the field stuff. And for fantasy purposes, I think he's a good value.
3: All right, let's move over now to running backs. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of options, certainly. It's a position that's had a lot of headlines this year uh, in the offseason. Uh, a lot of running backs looking for new deals and not a lot getting those new deals. But I'll just frame it the same way. Who do you like? You know, who, who should our listeners look to draft if they have a high pick at the top? And then give me a name or two that you think um, running backs are, might be a little bit overvalued during the draft process.
5: Yeah. So I mean, I have to, of course, shout out Austin Eckler. Uh, we have him as our, our running back two in the fantasy points rankings. Uh, if, if he's healthy, he's, he's good for you. He said that on our podcast. If if he's playing, you got nothing to worry about. And I, I fully believe that, uh, Christian McCaffrey, the top running back on basically everybody's list. Another great pick. You, you can't go wrong taking Christian McCaffrey. A guy that's been, uh, in the conversation this year is, is Bijan Robinson, the Atlanta Falcons rookie. Last year, I mean, I'm a Falcons fan, so I I watched a lot of Falcons football even before I was, you know, doing this job. And uh, anybody who carried the ball for the Falcons last year was remarkable. I mean, they just, that's their offense. So if, if you got a, if you got a touch in the backfield for Atlanta, you, you had some success. And, uh, John Robinson is miles above anybody else they have. I, I really like Tyler Algier. I know he's, you know, BYU connection. I really like him. I think he's a good running back. I think he's a starting caliber running back in the NFL. But this guy, Bijan Robinson, is, I mean, he's in that, uh, Saquon Barkley tier, guys that came out and just like better than everybody else. So at the top of your drafts, that's who I'm looking at. Uh, I think you can get the best price on Bijan Robinson and uh, I would not be afraid to take him. Uh, I think that's the right move and people, you know, get scared of rookies, but I I think that's who I'd be taking, uh, for the price. A guy a little bit lower, you kind of get that seven, eight, nine tier that's going to be a Ramondre Stevenson, Najee Harris. I like both of those guys, uh, Ramondre, especially Bill Belichick loves him. And and I know they just signed Zeke, but he's uh going to be more of a goal line type guy. And Ramondre was never really a goal line type back anyway. So I don't expect that to be, you know, it might, uh, lower his ceiling a touch, but, uh, as far as his floor, it's, it's pretty much locked in. I think he's a pretty safe bet. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, my favorite, uh, late round guy right now is cam Akers. Um, when you look at all the the late season statistics, uh, his last, you know, eight games of the year, he, he's up there with the best in the league. Uh, and I know the Rams were a, kind of a weird situation, but he, he dominated in, uh, uh, all the major metrics that you, you want to see, uh, in your running backs and had some off the field stuff and some fights last year, but, yeah, Cam Akers is the guy uh, that I'm targeting late in drafts.
3: I knew you were going to bring up Bijan John Robinson, you Falcons fan. He's getting a lot of love, man. I'll tell you what, he looks good. Let's move over to uh, wide receivers. And first, let me ask you this. Is is Justin Jefferson a consensus number one overall pick? Like, if you had the first pick in your fantasy football draft, would you take Jefferson or would you go a different direction?
5: Uh, You know, it's, he's about as close as you get to a consensus number one pick. And again, you're not going to be upset when you take Justin Jefferson. However, I will say this. I, I do believe the right pick for the first wide receiver off the board this year is Jamar Chase. Uh, he, he scores at an insane pace, uh, just, just dominates, uh, in every single way. And he's going into that third year where typically wide receivers, uh, quote unquote break out. So, uh, basically the thought process there is if Jamar Chase has not broken out yet, uh, if you draft Jamar Chase, you're going to be <laughs> extremely happy this season. So again, I'm not dogging Justin Jefferson. You'll be very happy with what he produces. But if I have the number one pick, I'm, I'm going with Jamar Chase.
3: All right. Give me wide receiver that you might, that you think might be a little bit overvalued. Give me a sleeper wide receiver, Trey.
5: Yeah, there's a couple guys. Devontae Adams, we have him at wide receiver 10. Uh, I'm not sure where he's sitting on Yahoo or ESPN, but that quarterback situation in, in Las Vegas is just so shaky. He's he's a remarkable player and one of the best route runners in the NFL, but uh, Jimmy Garoppolo I'm not a fan of. Aiden O'Connell has looked good in the preseason, but, uh, again, rookie quarterbacks typically aren't going to support number one wide receivers in fantasy. So if I'm fading one guy that's up near the top, it's going to be Devontae Adams. Uh and then a guy that I like a little bit later, uh Denver Broncos, Jerry Judy. Uh again, you know, his yard per route run uh metrics are are off the charts, great in the slot. Uh you know, um Sean Payton joined the squad and I think their offensive upside in Denver is, you know, in a better place than it was last year. I mean they can't possibly be worse than they were last year. So Jerry Judy's kind of a guy that I really think has a lot of value uh, in that those kind of middle uh, rounds for a wide receiver.
3: Has the off-season chaos surrounding Jonathan Taylor made you cool on his fantasy value this year at all?
5: Yeah, I I just I won't take a guy. This is just personal preference. Like I understand the argument for doing it because you can get a Josh Jacobs or a Jonathan Taylor a little bit cheaper. um, And if that move pans out for you, uh, you're gonna you know win your league or at least be in good shape. I. I typically avoid those situations just because there's a lot of good players, and if you think you know the the landscape of the draft and you know there's other values elsewhere, I'm going to go with those guys who I know are going to play, I know are in a good situation. So Jonathan Taylor right now, Josh Jacobs both are a fade for me, and I avoided them in my last draft.
3: When should you look at Kelsey? When should you look at taking a tight end? Uh,
5: Well, it's kind of a (laughs) – you should look at taking Kelsey – at the fourth or fifth pick in the draft. Oh, wow. Uh, After, after that, (laughs) after that, you should look, you know, a little bit later to take a tight end. Uh, I'm not huge on TJ Hawkinson. I know he's third tight end in most, most uh, rankings. Uh, There's obviously Mark Andrews who kind of came back down to earth last year. Uh, Kyle Pitts is in there at the fourth spot or fifth spot. Uh, A tight end that I'm really high on. I think everybody's really high on is Darren Waller uh, in New York. They just don't have a, a tried and true first option similar to to how the Chiefs are going to operate. And I mean, his his athletic profile is ridiculous. He he's one of those guys that when you watch him, you're like, how does this guy not have 80 yards and a touchdown every time he plays? Um, he's remarkable. I think he has a good chance to finish as the tight end two overall uh, in New York. But yeah, Kelsey, you can uh, you can add him to your team uh, with a fifth pick, with a sixth pick and you could just chalk that up as a win. Uh, and hopefully, unless Darren Waller goes nuclear this year, you're going to have a big advantage by adding Kelsey. All
3: right, buddy, before I set you loose, tell all of our listeners where they can go get all the content, support the pod, and everything you want to get out there.
5: Yeah, so I got a, I got a little stat for you I wanted to read off. Are you ready for yeah,
3: it? Yeah, let's, let's hear it.
5: Okay, here we go. So, <clears throat> which running back playing for the favorite in a divisional game in the rain, had the most yards after contact per carry in a losing effort. Do you know the answer?
3: Current currently active. I'm assuming yes.
5: <laughs> oh yeah. I'm yep.
3: just going to assume Derrick Henry, but I have no idea.
5: No, it's it's uh it's BYU's Tyler Algier. He right. had uh 27 yards uh, after contact in a, in with those parameters. But the point of that is, I wanted to kind of show you you know what you can do with this fantasy points data suite it's it's unbelievable uh second only to what the teams use themselves and a couple other companies have a uh, a data tool with with charted data and these kind of features but uh you're looking at hundreds of dollars thousands of dollars to be in the mix there our data suite's only 50 dollars this year that will probably go up in the future but uh since we have two years of uh, back charted data it's 50 dollars right now again uh if you get in the mix there it's going to kind of take your game to the next level they chart all the data after the games and you can poke around that that stat i gave you is kind of in the bare bones category of what you can do on that suite so it's really a remarkable tool uh but you can find all that stuff at fantasypoints.com and uh you can subscribe there articles podcasts you name it a uh, lot of stuff going on but the data suite is probably the biggest thing we have going right
3: now. Awesome, man. Well, what a world it is where we can make a living talking about fantasy football. So I'm happy for you. Hope it works out. And with your permission, we'll reach out and use you all year long, all right?
5: Yeah, 100%. Appreciate it, Spence. Thank you. All right. There
3: is Trey Camberling. Good kid, man. Spent a number of years over with the Utah Jazz. He's now moved over to uh, the Director of Digital Strategy for Fantasy Points. And it's that time of year you might be getting ready for your draft and Trey can help you out over on his Twitter page, just his name. At Trey Camberlin is where you find him. All right, three hours down, one hour to go. Coming up next, we'll do some Utah football, then bring in Freddie Coleman. We'll say goodnight at 6. But right now, we bring in Ryan from the Dish Pros. So here's the deal. There's been chaos in college football, as you know. Uh, there's a broadcast change with the NFL Red Zone. There's a broadcast change with the Utah Jazz. The good news is there's one answer to all of those issues. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 801-424-DISH. What's up, Ryan?
2: Yes, and uh, I'll tell you, uh, call us now. Don't wait. Uh, we're definitely getting to our busiest time, and we want to be able to help everybody before the season starts. And so, you know, listen, if, you're, uh, if you've are if you got uh, Fubo, you got got DirecTV Stream, or you've got YouTube TV, keep in mind this is a problem because you will not be able to watch and record the jazz games through those services. So... Um, here's the opportunity there's call us up take advantage of the best promotion ever Dish has put together a three-year promotion three years of the credits and the price is guaranteed. Take advantage of this deal um, The price is so good. We typically save people a ton of money cable Directv customers, especially 60 70 bucks a month. We've had a number of them in a the hundred and thirty dollar range. That's really makes me happy We love that just call us up. Get the promotion. We'll throw in the NFL Red Zone. Uh, which is it's the multi-regional sports pack free for the entire football season plus, uh, dinner at JCW's. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, if you wait, you may not, you may get caught out. I and mean, if you're a direct TV customer, you probably saw a little bit about what's happening. You're not having, having ABC and that does not look, it look like it's coming back. You're going to miss a lot of games. Take advantage of the deal. Get the $300 gift card if you switch right now. We'll get you, uh, the very best promotion. Price is guaranteed. We've got great internet solutions between 25 and 50 bucks a month. And guys, I'll tell you, this is the real deal. You can save money. You can upgrade, get the best price when you call us. Remember, we're the premier elite retailer for all of Northern Utah. So call us today. Get set up, get the best price, 424-DISH, 801-424-3474.
3: All right, there he is, Ryan from the Dish Pros. More coming up right here on ESPN 700. All right, wrap it up the show for a Monday afternoon with a little bit of breaking news. The Indianapolis Colts have officially given Jonathan Taylor permission to seek a trade. He's in the final year of his rookie deal, which pays him $4.3 million. Uh, He led the league in rushing a year ago, and he's a hell of a talent. So we'll see how this plays out. It's been a chaotic offseason for running backs. There's no doubt about that. So a little bit of breaking news on a monday evening uh there you go you get a little monday night football tonight uh the ravens are taking on the commanders did you realize the ravens have won 24 straight preseason games i read that today i, was, I had no clue
4: yeah I, I realized that streak was going on last uh last preseason and, and, and kind of followed it along it's i mean it's a streak but it's more about the way they approach preseason than it is anything else a lot of teams pretty much every team uses it as a tryout as a, uh, you know, trot guys out there and, and uh, uh, see who's going to make your 53 man roster. The Ravens don't do that as much. I mean, they do, right. There's guys that are, are on the fringe that are getting snaps and, and, and playing, but for the most part, they, they leave that to the, to the week, right. The Monday through Friday, and then come preseason, they're trying to lock into their game day regiment. and, I mean, it, it seems to, to benefit them a little bit, right? The the four seasons that they've gone through that have, have been really good preseasons, they've been competitive in the, the regular season. So uh, more about how they approach it than, than anything, but it's still a pretty impressive streak. Didn't do any golf today, uh, but a great, great golf tournament
3: over the weekend in Chicago, the BMW. Uh, Victor Hovland had the round of the year. He broke the course record, shot a 61, went super low. And now the top 30 golfers in, uh, in the world. Yes, I said that. You live fans. On the PGA Tour, they head to uh, East Lake in Atlanta for the FedEx, FedEx Cup championship. That comes your way on Thursday. But right now, I mean, high speed ahead of football, man. We're about 10 days away from Utah, Florida. BYU will get their turn as well. Week zero, college football. We actually have college football this weekend. And the NFL preseason will wrap up. And we're high speed ahead of games that actually matter. Want to give a shout out today to Fink and McGregor. They bring you this segment as we wrap things up. If you're looking for a mortgage to purchase or refinance your home, get started with Fink and McGregor's, their four-minute mortgage. Go to four minimortgage.com. Fink and McGregor Mortgages Made Simple. All right, buddy boy, before we get out of here, what should
4: our listeners expect on a Tuesday show? On a Tuesday show, Spence will continue, of course, the college football countdown. We're going to be nine days away. From Utah and Florida at Rice Eccles Stadium. How great is ball? Well, we're going to find out tomorrow. Yogi Roth, hell yes. stops by the show. Stevenson Sylvester as well. Eric Walden, who's been on the ja- on the Utes beat, and uh, we will go from there. We will have uh, at some point some sound from from up at Utes practice. Um, a bunch of stuff that I got on Friday, and then Bill is up there as we speak getting some more interviews as well. So we'll, uh, we'll combine a, a bunch of Utes guests with some youth sound and and into single digits as far as the countdown goes.
3: Great time of year, man. Can't wait for it. Can't wait for it. Been a long off season, but football, uh, all intents and purposes, it's here. All right, with that, we'll say goodnight. Very special thank you to Freddie Coleman, Emeka, Nelly, Sean O'Connell, and Trey for any Freddie, the sound that you may have missed from the show today, head over to our website. You can always get Utah football sound there. It's ESPN700sports.com. I listen to our station utilizing our mobile app. So go to the App Store and just search ESPN700, download that bad boy, and take us on the go. Finally, for what we do in this space every day for four hours, check out our podcast uh, page. We are available wherever you get shows, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. We are uh, trying to get and ask you sincerely to give us a rating and a review. Uh, If you're on Apple, just give us all the stars that you can. We'd appreciate it. Say nice things in the comments. It actually does help us out. It's called The Drive with Spence Check. It's It's available wherever you get shows. He's Porter. He produces it. My name is Spence, and I host it. Have a great Monday night. We'll talk to you on a Tuesday drive right here on ESPN 700.